Hey, what's up, folks? Welcome to another week. This is the Live Life Aggressively Show. Sincere Hogan, Mike Mollis, episode number 187. How about that? <laughs> yeah, we're getting there. We'll, <laughs> right have to do the a cele- we'll have to do a celebration when it's 209 instead of 200. <laughs> For <laughs> you DS fans out there. <laughs> Especially if you win, which I think you will this coming weekend. We'll do a, the 209 celebration episode. I'm not surprised. Man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That'll be the theme of the episode. Exactly. Things we're not, things we're not oh, surprised about, such as, I'm not surprised. Like, we're going to go down a list of things we're not surprised about, such as people not supporting the show, even though they've been listening for three years, and people not making great donations to organizations such as Ty Ritter's organization, Project Child Save. Save Child or Child Save? I keep getting those confused. Child Save. Yeah, Child Save. Yeah. Check out episode 186 if you haven't. That was an extremely intense episode with Ty Ritter. The first people I saw sharing the episode, I'm not surprised by that either. You know, Steve Cotter, Scott Shetler, Kevin, you know, guys like that. Who, you know, I, I, I wasn't surprised when I saw it. I was out, I was on a little trip, man. I still get the notification. Well, you shouldn't be surprised because I asked them to share it. Oh, and <laughs> again, <laughs> on that note. <laughs> and anyone who saw sharing it is because I asked them to share it. Just to get, not to give myself a big pat on the back, but I, I mean, that episode had the wheels of my head turning. So I was like, I gotta, I gotta do as much as possible yeah, to get man. this episode out here. So I just, every day on Twitter now, I just light up random and people I'm like hey man do me a favor go share this episode <laughs> you know, like bands i listen to it's like hey man new record's great do me a favor go share this episode <laughs> and to a lot of people's credit they're doing it because who, who wants to be that gonna, guy's like yeah exactly sure, you don't yeah. care about kids exactly <laughs> who wants, who's gonna be someone who's like this is not really you know, you know kids that have been kidnapped and sold into sex slavery and child pornography I, I don't know if that's something i care about no one wants to be that person even if that's how they genuinely about my new album you know, yeah, nobody wants to be that guy or girl. <laughs> like, no, I'd rather post another selfie of myself, Mike. I'll get around to it when I get around to it. <laughs> speaking, of, speaking of that, I love Lee's post. Oh my gosh. That was like, I think that was, that was like the post of the week right there. I saw that when I was out of town. I was like, that, that was awesome. I had to retweet that one, man. <laughs> yeah, well, we've had Lee on the show before. He's a top strength coach. Lee and he, yeah. yeah, Lee Boyce. And he went over, he put up this great tweet. It basically said, I wonder how many people in the self loving crowd would keep posting pictures on Instagram and elsewhere if there wasn't a like function, a like or share function. <laughs> I think we know the answer to that. Zero. <laughs> exactly, man. That'll be the end of a lot of people's online career. <laughs> yeah. So, so when we got a lot of people to share the episode, we, we even had a more important than that though, is some people have made donations. I mean, two yeah. of our listeners in particular, and I'm sure there's more than just these two guys, but two that I'm aware of, Paul Lindini, who's a yeah. longtime supporter of the show. He's always lighting up Twitter with every episode we put out. And I don't know who this guy, Matthew Robert, he may be a new listener, but he's just a guy in college. And he said he doesn't have much money, but he donated 15 bucks because he just couldn't turn away from this cause. And he was – so he posted this on – the episode page on my website where the mm-hmm. Facebook feed is. And he goes, man, I expected to see hundreds of comments here and people just lighting it up, making donations. <laughs> so I was like, yo, you're not the only one who's disappointed, man. Right. <laughs> but I, but the difference is I didn't expect any of that because I know better. Exactly. And, you know, how many, you know, a lot of folks, you know, I got some, I got some private messages from some folks as well. But of course I got some from my friends who are in law enforcement who, who've seen some of this stuff kind of sharing right, their right. stories, you know. So, of course, you know, I can kind of see what all the stuff that's going on today, why they probably wouldn't necessarily post that publicly, you know, if you don't know exactly what they do. But, yeah, it's, it's one of those topics where I didn't expect a lot of comments because for those that even were motivated enough to donate or whatever, but 
I don't think, you know, they, you really don't have words. I mean, hell, it seems like we were finding, it was hard for us to find words. It's like, I can say like, damn, it's, it's such a heavy topic, you know, but it's so heavy. It's just like, you know what? It's let me run in my mouth. Let me go run to my credit card and, and do what I can to help tie out. So. Yeah. And a lot of people shared it, but how many of those people actually made a donation? Well, I'm so hoping it's, it's they great. did. <laughs> it's great that you shared it, but did you actually go to the website and make a donation, or are you going, "Hey, everyone, check out this episode," which I haven't checked out myself, but someone told me to check. Someone told me. <laughs> someone told me to tell you to go check it out. So a friend of yeah. a friend told me that you might want to check this out. You know. I mean, I'm glad a lot of people shared it. And that's what I asked them to do. Yeah. I, I didn't ask them to make a donation, so you could say the faults on me. I should have been more specific, like, "Hey, man, please make a donation here and then go share it," <laughs> you know, as opposed to just go share it. But it's kind of like the underlying tone of Go Shared is, hey, you should listen to it too. <laughs> and if you listen to that episode and you're not motivated to make a donation, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, I, I just don't know what to say about you as a person. Yeah. If you're not motivated at all, I'd be, come on. What does it take for you to get out of your own head and say, man, there's people out there suffering way worse than me and I need to do something about it? Yep. Do it for the kids, man. <laughs> you know? <laughs> A lot of people yeah. are like Kevin Hart in that one episode of – what's the name of that, oh, the name oh, of that real, stupid show? Yeah, Real Husbands. Yeah, yeah. I brought this scene up before, like the Real Husbands of Hollywood where Kevin Hart, he goes, yeah, man, we got to raise money for the kids. And then uh, the camera's off and he's talking to someone in private. He's like, look, he's like, look, man, I don't give a fuck about no kids. All right? Yeah, I said it. <laughs> it made you think about how many of these these people put on this front actually say stuff like that in private. Another PR person's like, okay, we have to go do this. We got community <laughs> service. Just like you know, it's just it's to help your image. <laughs> but whenever whenever we go see movies out here, they're they're always trying to raise money for Make a Wish, right? So like, oh, would you like to make a donation for the kid? And I always want to say that I don't give a fuck about no kids. But you know, it's, it's like no one's going to understand the content. Unless they've seen that episode, right. <laughs> you know, it's not going to it's not going to come off remotely funny. But anyway, it, that always yeah. goes through my head. Uh, all, right. all right, so man, let's get to our episode. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to the shout outs at the end, man. For the folks who are you know don't, who are taking care of the kids and sending donations to the kids, whether they like it or not, you know, we'll <laughs> yeah, that's shout true. out because we're going to donate on your behalf. <laughs> very true, very true. And then if we have some time, we'll do some UFC predictions too, just for some of the main fights that are coming up this weekend, UFC 202. But anyway, we've got one of our fan favorite guests back on the show. He's been on a few times, and everybody loves the great information he has to deliver. It's Thomas Inkleden, the strongest scientist out there. Not only this, is this guy extremely knowledgeable about all things fitness and health, he backs it up with his strength and conditioning as well. Thomas, how you doing today, man? I'm doing really well, guys. Great to have you back, man. We've got some interesting things to talk about. One of the things we wanted to start off discussing is GI health or gut health and why it should matter to you. So let's start there. Sure. I mean, there's um, so it's kind of a really exciting time right now because uh, one, this is a new technology that um, for the most part is being rolled out to consumers pretty inexpensively, I would say, compared to other types of tests. And uh, essentially, you, you basically get the, the genetic aspects of the different organisms that are growing maybe inside your body or outside the body. And, uh, you know, the organisms in and around us outnumber our actual cells. So it's kind of a strange thing to think about, like, are, we're actually carrying more mass of other organisms than what we actually are ourselves. So it doesn't kind of make sense in a way, you know, doesn't fit our concept of who mm. we are think of 
like these trillions of cells around us as a, a contributing factor. Wow. But what's really exciting is that um, a lot of stuff is uh, showing that a lot of uh, newer research studies are showing things like the bacteria in the digestive tract can affect blood pressure. So it raises concerns that why are all these people being put on blood pressure meds? Why are drug companies creating drug, uh, blood pressure meds? Why are doctors prescribing it when they could simply be checking the micro, you know, the organisms in their digestive tract and then giving a patient, let's say, their healthy bacteria? Right. You know, you know the answer to that question, though, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. It's just, it's no money, no money to be made off prescribing probiotics, which can't be <laughs> patented. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, there's, um, there's, uh, we'll get into some of the dis- discrepancies between, um, the research done. Otherwise, we'll just talk about it now. So, sure. if you pull up studies, probiotics, you see typically dosages used. Um, so this is like, you know, you're a subject in a study, we're doing a study and we're giving you a capsule and we may give you, you know, one or two in the morning and one or two at night, let's say, or maybe, you know, one during the day. So we know exactly what's in the capsule because it's been tested and analyzed. So that way we know, you know, what we're giving people. And the dosages are used for a lot of the studies used around three to six trillion. That's trillion with TR. And the reason why I bring that up is, you know, it takes a thousand million to be one billion. It takes a thousand billion to be one trillion. So you could translate that to like 3000 billion or 6000 billion. Yeah. And so now, Look at, you know, if you go into like a GNC or a vitamin shop or a vitamin world or, or high health, some other chain, and you start looking through the probiotic section, you see stuff in like the millions. You see like 1 million, 2 million. So the research is using like billions of time higher dose. Yeah, that the highest I've seen is 100 billion. So even yeah. that would be low by the standards you just right. delivered. Yeah. And I'll tell you that um, even so, uh, we basically licensed a formula from a group that has done more research on, uh, let's say, probiotics than any other group. And the formula we licensed from them. Now, keep in mind, this was uh, basically a um, this was the the um, the arrangement of of the uh, bacteria was tested. But when they tested it, they tested it in that trillion you know range. Well, they say, all right, here we'll make it for you. The best they'll make is a hundred billion. And so when I asked them about that, well, how do we get, you know, 225? How do we get to 650? How do we get to, you know, a trillion? They wouldn't give me a straight answer. And mm. so uh, I've literally been stuck in limbo land now. Um, my goal is to try to get a three trillion organism product made. And the reason for my personal interest in this is that at a dose of about three trillion, you can effectively turn off genes that control inflammation in the body. And the reason why that matters is those genes, they control things like depression. They control things like arthritis, Mm. uh, colitis, Crohn's disease, like a lot of uh, cardiovascular disease. They control a lot of areas of health that normally no one would have said, oh, yeah, it's a gut issue. You know, like the way specialists think if you have knee pain, you need to see an orthopedic doctor, and he's going to look at your knee. Yeah, He's not going to connect the dots and say, okay, you have an improper ratio of bad guys to good guys in your stomach or small intestine, large intestine. And the result of that improper ratio is there are chemicals being produced that are inflammatory to your joints. And because you have some mechanical wear and tear from your youth and your knee, that's where you first feel it. 
They're going to mm-hmm. totally, you know, not connect those dots. And so, um, recently I posted some stuff on, um, there's data on how these organisms affect our nervous system. And it's a pretty exciting time with me, uh, for me right now because we have a, currently have a patient that's in a wheelchair that was referred to me by another group. She has not been able to walk for two years. And I've had success with uh, spinal cord injury and, and um, brain injury cases in the past. So we took on the case, and as it turns out, this woman's uh, father and her brother are doctors in Germany. So I'm able to uh, collaborate and say, you know, how would you guys approach this case in Germany? And they'd say, well, here's what we do. And then I look and see, you know, how it's generally approached here. And I can compare the differences in, let's say, a European or a German approach versus, you know, more of an allopathic medical model. And one of the things that stood up for me is, um, you know, how they're more into the whole use of probiotics. And so uh, I did some research and it was um, if you were to just like go on to like a medical database like PubMed, which anyone with, you know, Internet access can um and access and just type in concepts like microbiome or microbiota and neuro regeneration um you come up with uh a lot of different things now you you may um have to use neurodegeneration in your keyword search but the point is there's uh about 80 review papers that are talking about how the organisms in our digestive tract could affect our nervous system and the significance of that is a nervous system is directly and indirectly controlling everything else in our body. So think about the concept here. We're talking about these tiny organisms in your digestive tract that are affecting how you feel pain, how you move, how you recover from exercise, how strong you can get, your ability to add muscle. This is a long way off from you know years ago. Guys are just like eat more protein and lift weights. Yeah. You know? So we're moving way beyond that now. It seems like a poor probiotic balance would be the underlying cause for a lot of things. So if someone has depression, it could be because of this. If they have joint pain, it could be a root cause could be because of just the flora imbalances. Yeah. And well, what's funny, um, it's a good point you make because uh, back in the 30s, and and I'm sure even earlier than that, but that's the, the furthest I have evidence of. They were very forward-thinking doctors. So the, at that point, these would have been medical doctors or MDs, and they felt like the root cause of all known human diseases was at some point a pathogen of some kind, you know, bacteria, virus, a fungus, or parasite, something along those lines. And a lot of those guys would be like, you know, they would be ridiculed or, you know, looked down upon because they didn't have the tools to analyze, you know, um, the genetics of the organisms in our body like they're available today. So it's kind of like, here's a guy thinking, you know, out loud and sharing his ideas, but then being criticized for thinking differently. Yeah. So as you might imagine, that didn't really help medicine advance. It kind of, it forced really bright people to work in isolation. And what's the, you know, the worst thing possible, let's take the brightest minds in the world and let's hide them from each other. Yeah, <laughs> you know, right. how does that help any cause advance? And so, you know, one of my sort of uh, personal passions is um, I got hit with this question two years ago that in the healthcare world, do I think the brightest minds in healthcare are focused on solving the toughest problems? And I was like, absolutely not. I mean, I know really smart guys that are being, you know, stuck doing research for a drug company 
and all they're going to do the rest of their life study like one pathway or, or you know permutations of that pathway when they could be doing much bigger things like all right, how do all these puzzle pieces fit together so we can you know heal people permanently and not just maintain them over time you know yeah when you think about it someone who's really health conscious may take a high dose probiotic but even that's not enough to restore health so think about the average person who doesn't do anything for gut health. In fact, they're doing the opposite. They have a really poor diet. They've taken antibiotics, medications over the years. All of these things strip up your body, of your gut of good flora. So, I mean, it's safe to say that the average person walking around or even the majority of people walking around have extremely poor gut health. And a lot of the issues they're dealing with could be stemming from that. Oh, yeah. And, you know, um, we talked about it. You know about um, so people that eat fermented food products like uh, sauerkraut, right, and uh, yogurt and other types of foods like some of the fermented soy products. Yeah, miso and what's the other one? Natto. Natto. Yeah. 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 So the, the um like if you go online, you'll read you know internet articles that talk about how these um, producing foods a certain way can increase the counts or the colony forming units of the organisms and you get them in billions or trillions. And um, I've not analyzed anything personally and I've not sent anything out. So I can't confirm or deny any of that stuff. But what I have done is I've tested lots of people that have eaten those foods. So the idea is, you know, right. if you grow sauerkraut at home, you know, you make sauerkraut at home, let's say, and it has trillions, then if you eat it and the organisms are actually affecting your microbiome, when I test you, I should be able to find this stuff. And what I found is that most of the time, I mean, I would say almost 100% of the time, most of the people that I test that are just using food alone, they have very low healthy species of lactobacillus and bifidobacteria and things like that. So I'm not seeing any evidence, you know, at least from the patients we've tested or the subjects or people we've tested. So I'm not saying it can't happen. I'm just saying I haven't seen any evidence of it. Now, in terms of, um, you know, making sure there's a positive outcome. Well, what about people who take supplementation? People who take uh, what we what what's what's available as a high dose, such as a hundred billion probiotic capsule? Okay, so let me answer that in two ways. So first, um, the, the short answer would be if you take 100 billion or more a day of, uh, let's say, you know, some type of lactobacillus, bifidobacterium combination, then if you got tested by a microbiology lab, you should be able to get your counts to show like a four plus, you know, so me- meaning that you got the highest level they can measure. Right. That's my expectation. What I would say, though, is the limitation with that approach now is that those? Um, that's more of a qualitative assessment, and it's not quantitative enough to fit with the latest research. So, as a clinician, you know, I kind of want to know in general, good guys versus bad guys, because we could explain a lot going on, and I want to influence that to help someone. But in terms of as a researcher or more of a, like a scientist, I would say I'd want better quality data from gastroenterology type laboratories because that way we can see like really what i want to know is are your organisms in the trillions right because that's what the research says it took to get a result so the expectation would be if let's say if i give you 100 billion organisms as the right environment that 100 billion should be able to grow out into trillions over time but when you actually test people daily let's say you took one pill today 
you don't have a hundred billion forever. Like you, within seven days, most people, those organisms die off. So they have to be consistently replaced. In other words, you got to have a pill every day or some, you know, some routine. Maybe I've tested people that they could take a hundred billion every third day yeah. and they can keep the counts up to the highest. Is there, accu- are- is there accumulations though, such as you take a hundred billion every day for 30 days? So would you have 30 times more or you're just maintaining that 100 billion? Or would it really come down to the environment in which, you know, what's going on with your gut health at that time? Like, yeah. say, stress and the type of foods you're eating, you know, besides yeah. just taking, you know, these supplements. Is it like an ideal environment for that to thrive or not? Yeah. yeah so you're both hitting on two really good areas. And there's not like it's like um, there's not clear answers right now. But here's one thing I'll say on a, to first answer the stress thing first. I don't think it's stress that affects us. I think it's our inability to handle stress that affects us. So every cell in our body is wired for survival. So if I, you know, overtrain and now I get arthritis in my joints or overtrain and my muscles are so sore I can't move. Yeah. That's because of my inability to handle the load that I put upon my body, you know, the workload. Just like if, um, you know, you could take really strong people mentally and physically that got their life together and then have someone they love dearly die on them that could totally mess up their world right no doubt or let them let them lose let's say you're you know you're a father and you got you know two more kids you got a decent sized family and a wife you're providing for and now you go into work and you lose your job and now you got to go home and tell your family oh you know we got no money now like those are major stressors for people right that we don't know when they're going to come and hit us. But when our vitamin mineral levels, when our microbiome, when, when all these things are dialed in, our ability to handle that, it doesn't make it less stressful, you know, necessarily mentally, but it does make it so we can handle it much better. And so when you now start, you know, kind of connecting some of these things with the, um, with the microbiome, one of the things that, that I see is, uh, I could take, let's say patient A and let's say they got a really messed up gut. And I could literally just put them on a probiotic, and they're fine. It's like one tool, and they're 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 great forever. The next person comes in, what appears like the same messed up digestive tract, and I put them on a probiotic, and it doesn't help them at all. The bacteria don't even grow in their body. And so one of the things that you know comes up right now is you know the, the internal environment. Like, why is it? You know, things grow in one person, not another. And here's some interesting sort of uh, trivial pursuit details. Uh, one, we inherit our bacteria from our mother when we're born. Mm-hmm. So imagine if you know how many kids are delivered through C-section. So they didn't have a normal vaginal delivery. So not getting exposure to organisms. And then a really interesting concept that's come up. Um, I would say more recently, I've seen it in research, but I'm sure other guys have said it for years. You know, when we were younger, um, you know, people played in the soil. A lot yeah. more people were farmers. Right. And now we've kind of, as a societies, as we try to modernize everybody, you know, we have all this technology now. Well, no one's really playing in the dirt. Yeah, we're also so, using a lot of antibacterial soaps. Exactly. And like then, people are so germaphobic now. It's like, oh, wash your hands, wash your hands, you know, you, and all, all this other stuff where 
you know, it's get, you got to question what is that really doing to our immune systems? You know, it's kind of. Oh no, Mo- most guys don't seem to wash their hands after they use the bathroom. <laughs> well, <laughs> maybe, maybe, that's maybe, maybe, this, maybe this is why they're doing it. Right? This is they're, bad like, they're like, hey, it's right for there, my man. health. <laughs> <laughs> this is like, it's for my health, man. Don't judge. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure their mother would be all over them if, they, if their mother knew they weren't washing their hands. Like, oh my God, you got here, here, put this, you know, you got to put this on, get the sanitizer because you know your nuts are dirty. <laughs> you know, come on. Yeah, so you got a lot of these, let's say, um, concerns that, you know, that let's say the CDC and other groups are putting out there about, you know, hand washing, things like that. What I'll say, the um, in terms of like exposure, the idea behind, you know, playing in the dirt is that we're exposed to a large variety of organisms. And then those, those organisms tend to contribute to an overall positive environment. Now, on the other hand, you know, let's say you were in a hospital. And there are known pathogens that are spread throughout the hospital. You know, that may not be this place where you go in and don't wash your hands because you could pick up something pretty serious there. You know, so there's kind of like an environmental context, right. you know. So, like, the, the main concern right now with the hand washing thing is that, you know, maybe our digestive tracts today aren't as robust as they were, you know, 100 years ago. So maybe a hundred years ago, yeah, you could have not washed your hands and got exposed to, you know, a bad form of E. coli or some Clostridium difficile or some other, you know, H. pylori and your body would have fought it off and maybe would have had symptoms for a day or so. Now, you know, you got people that seem to, they can't seem to shake this stuff even when they're treated with different medications. So there's a whole, you know, there's a lot, it's kind of like the pendulum has swung from one end to the other now. Yeah. So I think, um, would, um, would a I fair should... analogy be, let's say people who get a cold every once in a while, and as a result of that, their immune system has to kick in and work, so it gets stronger, it builds up. So they get a cold once or twice a year, every year for 10 years, their immune system is getting stronger each year. Then you have someone who never gets sick, and they're like, man, I'm so healthy, I never get sick. And then all of a sudden, they get sick, and because their immune system hasn't had to work over time, they get really sick. Like they're sick for about a week or like two weeks, you know, but it, yeah. but it feels like so, a month. <laughs> right. I would say like generally speaking, that's kind of close. But if you look at some of the details to what's been, what's coming out is um, when your immune system is working well, let's say the first time you're exposed to something, there'll be a slight delay. So it'll be an initial immune response. And then at some point, let's say over the next two to 10 days, then it's like your immune system's like, all right, this guy's not leaving. We got to kill him off for real this time. And it just mounts up a serious attack and, you know, your white blood cell counts go sky high. And now you, you fight the, the bad guys and kill them off. Yeah. The next time you're exposed to that same thing and that same thing is defined as, as your B lymphocytes and T lymphocytes recognize it, um, you're going to kill it off super fast. Like sometimes faster than you even know, like you don't even know anything happened. It's already gone, you know? So in terms of like someone, let's say the, the, now, the example you gave, someone's, let's say, getting a cold, they would have to be exposed to something different each time. It's got to be different enough that their immune system would have not seen it before to know what to do, right? Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. it'd already be doing its job, you know, before you even knew you had the cold, it'd already be, you know, taking care of it. But what is interesting now is um, the organisms in your digestive tract, they influence 
how you respond to viruses mm. and um, you HIV and um, herpes simplex virus one, herpes simplex virus two. Those guys get a lot of attention. I, I guess you know when there's different you know emerging health concerns like Ebola, etc. They'll get a lot of attention. But what um, those are viruses that affect a fairly small amount of the population worldwide. Not that it's insignificant, but if you want to talk about like global impact. Viruses that affect energy, like Epstein-Barr virus, like adenovirus, a cytomegalovirus, some of these things, they affect people worldwide and in so many different ways. Like, you know, people in our families, almost every single one of us has one or more of these viruses because we could have got them from birth. Yeah. Well, now what's showing is that the negative impact of those viruses could be controlled by the healthy bacteria in our digestive tract. So this opens up a whole new era, you know, era where let's say someone has chronic fatigue or has some other type of uh, issues going on similar to that. Simply maybe improving their you know, microbiome reduces the impact of all viruses. So what's nice about these strategies that are coming up is let's say you got a virus and for whatever reason I don't know you have it and I can't identify it. A non-specific strategy that could have really cool impact to help you. We improve, you know, uh, the probiotic, you know, the, the healthy stuff inside of you. Yeah. So we kind of talked a little bit about health angle, but where that ties into, let's say, like recovery for athletes. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Just, of, just real quick. What about with the connection to testosterone? I, I could have sworn I read an article somewhere. It might have been on Ergolog where they said there's one strain, probiotic strain, that influences sex hormones, in particular testosterone in men, quite a, a great deal. Yeah. So there's – so. Um, so literally, the um, there are, are a variety of organisms that affect steroidogenesis in the human body. Yeah. Um, so they could affect it on the testosterone side, meaning on the synthesis side. They could also affect it on the metabolism side. So in other words, once you make testosterone, so now you know you got lady cells producing testosterone. It gets into your blood. It's traveling around your body. Some of that blood's getting to the digestive tract. Now, once testosterone's there, what are the organisms they're doing with it? Are they going to convert it to estradiol or DHT? And, you know, for most of us, we kind of want this perfect hormonal environment where no matter what we do, all that happens is our free testosterone goes up. <laughs> you know, so now we get only benefits and nothing negative happening. Um, but it, the real world is not quite that simple. And yeah. there's definitely... Uh, favorable effects of, uh, let's say, probiotics. Now, what we did years ago was we actually looked to see if we can take a human gene for making testosterone and translocate that into a organism like a lactobacillus species that not only produces um, substances that are anti-inflammatory, but also can produce uh, human testosterone. So now it's kind of like you'll be making testosterone in your digestive tract. Hmm. And um, it was hard to get the necessary funding to consider that line of research, especially with all like the, at the time there was a lot of, you know, uh, anti-steroid stuff. So everybody's like, oh, testosterone steroid, we're not going to fund research. But now, yeah. twenty, the data about you know men taking testosterone is favorable. So and it's less of a like a, a no no if you will. So I think now there might it might right. be a better environment look at some of that research again. Yeah. Now just backtracking a little bit with free testosterone, do you find that free testosterone is lower in people that 
train intensely due to androgen receptor uptake. So in other words, it's it may not be an accurate indicator of what your free testosterone levels are because it's being soaked up out of the bloodstream. Yeah, so for sure. So if I'm doing a, like a urine measurement, right, I'm measuring what's leaving the body. So none of that testosterone bound to anything. So we would extrapolate that to say you have higher levels in the body, but that's not really like proven, right? It's just right, kind right. of extrapolated. If I measure testosterone, like I'm talking free testosterone now in the blood, we're extrapolating that if your levels are higher, that you're getting, you know, greater anabolic activity. And a lot of that data is from, you know, injecting, uh, you know, men with testosterone their levels go up, and as we measure increases in testosterone, they also have larger muscles and they get stronger. There's a performance improvement. But there's not been lots of research measuring what's happening in the binding of the testosterone to gene receptors. How is that influenced? And there's limited data here and there on different substances that affects androgen binding, but it's always in vitro stuff. Yeah. And so it's hard to extrapolate. You know, if I got, you know, I got the prostate from a rat, outside of the rat body <laughs> and I got to take those cells and see what's going on. Somehow extrapolate that. You know, there's a lot of conceptual leaps that we're getting there and some of it may pan out and be true, but some of it probably won't, you know, as well. So it's like, what do you do with it? So um, years ago we knew measuring testosterone would not be the Holy grail. It would just be one step on the process of where we want to go. Yeah. There are labs that could do engine binding assays and stuff, but insurance doesn't cover it. And the expense of doing the assay relative to the information you're going to get, it's hard to justify it. Like even, you know, um, like I don't know that it would tell you enough information yeah. to make you want to do it as often as you need to to kind of figure things out. Because the other aspect is um, you can influence the number of antigen receptors and you can influence the ability of those receptors to migrate through the various, uh, through, throughout the nucleus of the cells. So it's kind of like, think of the, um, think of the receptors almost like a ball that's moving around in space and you're trying to like skeet shooting, you know, you're trying to catch target. Yeah. So you could do things that make the skeet move faster or slower. And then you could do things that make it bind, you know, uh, more strongly or less strongly to this moving target. So there's a lot of variables to sort of consider. Yeah, definitely. It just seems that with people who train intensely in particular, that total testosterone would be more important to look at because at least that gives you an idea of what your total reservoir is. In other words, how much you have in your bank account. And then free is how much you can withdraw. But with people who work out hard, if you have really low total, then there's less from you to, for you to withdraw from. At least if you have a high total, there's more potentially that you could withdraw from for anabolic purposes. Yeah, but you'd have to look at sort of timing. So let's just say if um, you came in right now and you say, hey, I want to see what's going on with my testosterone levels. Normally what would happen is we would say, you know, don't drink any alcohol. Don't work out for two days. Right. Come right, in right. sometime between 7 and 9 a.m. Let's draw your blood. And I'm going to measure you right under a fasted, rested condition. Right. And that's a normal medical thing. And for the most part, it's kind of got to be done that way because we have to eliminate confounding variables, right? Like other stuff that may affect it. But now yeah. in your real world, you want maximum testosterone like around your workout so you could, you know, recover and, you know, repair damaged tissue more quickly. Right. So 
in that scenario, like, you know, we've put catheters in, in athletes' arms and we draw their blood repeatedly, like every 15 to 30 minutes throughout a workout. And what I've seen is, um, you know, one, you look at just qualitatively, is a guy getting stronger? Is he adding muscle? So if he is, then, you know, enough has to be going in the right direction versus the wrong direction. Now, whether you know, it's mediated through the nervous system, whether it's mediated through the endocrine system or some other system of the body, you wouldn't know until you measured it. And you could say, I have good data that supports this. But what I would see is if um, a guy works out, let's say, he, let's say he's fresh, he's not overtrained, but he is conditioned. If he works out, let's say right now, his testosterone levels can go up maybe three to ten times above baseline. Right, right. So now, once you get testosterone levels that high in normal, healthy men, that sends a signal, okay, we got plenty of testosterone, and the signals to the brain are make less testosterone, right? So uh, now you have yeah. less signals to the testes. Right. So if I would test right. you, let's say this was you, you do a killer workout, your testosterone level sky high. Now I measure your blood tomorrow morning, like the next morning. Well, I'm going to see a much lower level of total and free because you gave me everything you had during the last workout. You right. Know? So it takes time to resynthesize some of that. Well, now when you look at, you know, guys training two or three times a day, you know, basically they're dumping everything they have available. And so if you test them outside of those areas, you're going to see a trend where it may actually get lower. For right. a period of time until they allow their body to fully recover. And then their baseline, when they're fully recovered, should be higher than when they started. Based on that, it seems that you use recommending workouts as a way to increase testosterone seems flawed. It seems more you need to have optimal testosterone to get good workouts rather than you have low testosterone and then you're going to go do heavy squats or deadlifts as a way to increase your testosterone. It's kind of like trying to buy a house and you have like no collateral, no money whatsoever. You know? <laughs> right. It's like, no, man, you right. can go buy that million dollar house, but I don't have a million dollars. No, just go get it anyway. Just go ahead. Apply for the <laughs> exactly. loan. Exactly. Now it's 2008 all over again. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, so uh, a novel stimulus. So let's say, um, uh, per example, you know, I had um, an athlete comes in and he's not making any progress. And I'm looking and his coach has got him doing all kinds of cool cutting edge stuff. So the guy's like, his training's up to date, right? So he's like, man, I'm not making progress. I've been doing all this new stuff and nothing's happening. Like, okay, well, how long have you been doing this stuff? Well, I've been doing variations of it for two years. So I said, all right, let's just try something really different. So I go back to like a 1970s, you know, uh, strength and conditioning article. And I take some old 1970s program. Say, all right, let's try this. He goes, man, that's from the 70s. And I said, yes, but it's new to you right now. Right. And so that's the part that he missed. Yeah. So he starts doing it and he makes progress. And he's like, man, this old school stuff works. I'm like, you got to think of it. It's not limited. It didn't work just for the people in the 70s. It works for people, period. <laughs> but like anything, as we adapt, it loses the efficacy over time. Right, right. So, you know, it was funny because he met, I had a, he had a, he gave me a lot of resistance. He didn't want to do it. And then he set all kinds of new records and his performance and the sport improved. And now he was like, you got anything from the sixties. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, but it shows you how people think Yeah, really the take home was just vary up your training, right? That's really right. all you had to do. 
but his mind went to, oh, if old works, older is better. <laughs> no, because I mean, I, I've I've seen not as much blood work as you, but I've looked at a fair amount of blood work from people that are generally people who work out hard, they train hard, and they've been doing it for a long time. Often, their testosterone levels are way lower, significantly lower than people that I look at that are sedentary. So I think that this notion that you work out to increase your testosterone is flawed because if you don't have an optimal hormonal environment, you're not going to thrive from your workouts. It's just going to break you down. And that's what I see with a lot of people. And I've had people tell me like, oh, man, you would never guess looking at me that I have issues with ED or I've got low sex drive and stuff like that. And I go, actually, you're, you're wrong. I've, usually when I look at people who work out really hard, I go, you probably do have low sex drive because you're just breaking yourself down. You're not paying attention to recovery. And you may have started off with an optimal hormone environment. That's what got you. That's what provoked you down this road. But after years and years of doing it without balancing it with the optimal restoration, that's going to be the end result. Yeah, you know, so a lot of this stuff, it's kind of like, um, it's like a circular relationship, right? Because you need testosterone to, let's say, recover faster and to, to skew muscle protein synthesis so it's more anabolic and less catabolic, you know? And then on the other hand, though, if you don't do anything at all, you don't have the mechanical stimulus and you don't have the increases in blood flow to the testes and stuff like that. So there are some value. What may be happening is um, what I've observed is uh, uh, lots of people exceed their current level of fitness in the gym on a routine basis. Right, right. So it's kind of like, you know, you're training me. Have I done any sprints? No. Okay, where do you want to start? Let's do 10 right now. You know, so I go from zero to 10, like that's just 10 sprints. They're only 10 seconds each. Come on. That's nothing. Right. Right. And then when I'm laying on the floor puking, (laughs) that's when I realize, yeah, that was 10 seconds, but it was all out. I think think it's safe to say that people who enjoy working out are always exceeding their limits because that's the kick for them. You know, that's the drug of choice is they they want to they want to be broken down because they somehow feel like that's a positive thing. Like, oh, man, I, I couldn't walk after that workout. What a great workout it was. <laughs> yeah. Well, because that becomes their new sort of uh, baseline. Right. So now, I remember uh, I, I could, design programs for people and they would complain that they weren't sore and beat up the next day. Yeah. I was like, yeah, yeah. Like, that's the point. That's how we're going to get you stronger. We're going to build strength rather than you just going in and trying to demonstrate your current abilities. I think a lot of people get stuck in neutral because every workout is a showcase of what they can do right now. Right? Because, but, but you're never building upon it. You take away the bragging points, though. Like, you can't go and brag to somebody like, yeah, man, Mike's work, his workout today, man, kicked my ass. Whereas, you know, if you actually get them stronger and just kind of really building up to it, it's like, well, I don't really have anything to talk about. Well, talk about the <laughs> fact that you're not injured and, you know, and the fact that no. you can actually train tomorrow, you know, and work yeah. upper body, you know, that you're not going to be so beat up that you got to wait till next week to train again. And then you'll have better that. abilities down the road. So someone could be, okay, I can, I can press double 53 pound kettlebell six times right now. And then every time you work out, you just, you, you just repeat that six times where if you put on a program of, let's say 10 sets of three, you really dial in technique. Now in a couple of weeks, a couple or a couple of months, you can do 12 reps. Now you're doing double 70s, but you had to dial things back and focus on building strength as opposed to just demonstrating what you can do every time you work out. I mean, most people I see at the gym, they're just demonstrating what their max limit abilities are every time they work out, and they're thinking that that's what they have to do to get stronger. Like I got you hear this all the time. I got to push it. You got to take it to the limit. <laughs> you know, like sure. all these other all these other 80s taglines, <laughs> yeah. and and that's. 
okay to do every once in a while to know where you're at as a barometer. But if you do that every single workout, you're just, at best, you're just maintaining what you can do. And more likely, you're, it's going to be diminishing returns. You're actually going to get weaker over time doing that. Sure. You know, it was funny what you guys just said made me think about. So um, years ago, I'm competing in a strongman contest. And um, a couple of guys are talking about the preparation for this big meet. And one guy was like, yeah, I hit 900 for a double in the back squat, like, you know, two days ago. And other guys that did this much weight and all these guys did, you know, 900 to a thousand pounds. And the, it gets to me and the guys look at me. I'm like, yeah, I did 300 for one. <laughs> and they're like, what the hell, dude? <laughs> and I'm like, that's all I needed. And they were just like laughing, you know, like this guy, he's going to get killed. And so I winded up, um, I came in second overall, but. I won a, a number of the events. One um, I came in second was the truck deadlift, and mm. uh, what's interesting is uh, all the guys that had you know had the high squat numbers, none of them did well in that event because you didn't have to deadlift a truck once; you had to deadlift it for as many times as possible. Yeah, and yeah. so their nervous systems were already fried from all the heavy lifting they did before. You know, deadlifting a truck, I don't care if it's the smallest truck on the planet, it's work. It doesn't go up, it doesn't go up on its own by magic. It, it takes some effort, you know. And so what it, what it shows you, though, is how biased uh, athletes uh, are. And when, when you're tired, deadlifting a rickshaw is going to be difficult, <laughs> let, let alone a truck, man. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, there's, there's training for one red backs and there's training for repeated efforts. And they're really two different skill sets altogether. Well, so, um, you know, so that brings me uh, into some of uh, – you guys want to start talking about some recovery stuff or do you got anything else about – Well, just, 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 last, just one last thing on this testosterone because you made a really good point that I just want to reemphasize is that you get an increase in testosterone after your intense workout. But the signal that the brain gets is to make less testosterone as a result of that increase in testosterone. So that means that you're going to have less testosterone to recover from that workout. Yeah, so this is where um, – well, keep in mind, though, you made it during the workout, right? Right, and right, right. It's exactly. Having, like, it's having you know immediate impact or at least to the point as soon as it binds to an androgen receptor. Um, now, keep in mind, this is where after the workout, the strategies you implement, so you know your micronutrients, the availability of all the macronutrients, um, avoidance of maybe – too much glucose for too long mm. and getting proper sleep like all this stuff matters because it affects how quickly you recover from that effort and then you get back to making let's say more testosterone again so you know they use these concepts of uh, concepts of area under the curve in research and yeah. so ideally we would be able to figure out a way to measure all the testosterone you make each day so on the synthesis side, you know, like literally they would um, they draw up blood from the from the penile vein, you know, in, uh, in these subjects. And how about you? But anytime I see a sharp object coming at me downstairs, I don't think I want to be involved in that research. I think <laughs> I'll let someone else do that study. You're talking about the, just the sound about, of that. I was like, okay. You're talking, about, you're talking about the needle inserted in the head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, just, you know, I've, just I've had that. that. I've had that done before, and it wasn't pleasant. I'll <laughs> take like, your word for it. <laughs> I can I can attest to that. There's there's no way to mentally prepare for it. Either. <laughs> That's right. That's right. What do you do? <laughs> Lots of whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, it was like part of it was like part of a prostate exam. It's like, okay, we're gonna check to make sure you don't have bacteria on the urethra line, and they stick that needle in your head. And man, that that is not a pleasant feeling, man. I don't care how delicate the physician is <laughs> with that. <laughs> There's no way to make that, you know, more. Yeah, you're, you're, gonna, you're gonna flinch no matter what. <laughs> <You know? laughs> the only, the only, the only recommendation I have is just don't look because that doesn't help. <laughs> the last thing I want to know right now is what you're gonna do to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So, so um, where I was getting at is uh, there would be a way to measure how much you make. So that you could show, assuming it's a guy that's, let's say, doing uh, natural strategies, yeah. that there's an improvement, there's either an increase in synthesis over time, or there's maybe, um, I mean, you get to a point where, for most guys, I would say, if your testosterone is averaging, let's say, a thousand or more a day, the argument could be made that's no longer the weakest link in your system. Like, there yeah. probably is something else that demands a little bit more attention than, let's say, raising your testosterone more. But because we see values from guys taking steroids, you know, you think, all right, I got to get this up to 2,000 or 3,000. And, you know, it's a different environment, you know, someone taking uh, injectable testosterone or a cream or a gel versus someone not doing that. Yeah. So but uh, if you met, got the synthesis figured out, then you would start looking at things like, you know, how do you control SHBG and maximize free testosterone? And then you would start looking at, okay, how do you get blood levels high, but then get urine levels low? Mm. Same time, because then what that's telling you is you got more binding taking place. You know, you're just using math there more than physiology, but like ideally you would actually be able to, to see the binding as well. But, you know, again, that's one of those things that uh, it's kind of expensive to do it right and for most people it's not you know like they're better off with a quarterly you know get their blood work done every three months or four months and then come up with a strategy in between to get things improved like it's a better balance of expense and return on your investment you know yeah no doubt you can you can definitely get caught in the black hole of just over testing where you're just testing things and trying to just fine-tune things too much to the point where it detracts. So I, I like the idea of just quarterly tests. Just look at the baseline. Look at the big picture. How can you optimize the big picture and don't get too pedantic about it? Yeah, for sure. Sure. Well, cool. Let's talk about best ways to optimize recovery. So, well, here's where, okay, so kind of like in my mind at the time when we were discussing some of these concepts here is kind of like, you know, the uh, – the the gut bacteria control genes that affect um, inflammation production, and these these this inflammation production affects muscle protein synthesis. So I wouldn't be surprised if at some point in the future you're going to see probiotic studies coming out that show increased lean body mass or some sort of increased skeletal muscle circumference or some measure of some kind in subjects. And so kind of thinking ahead, one of the things I was looking at is, okay, what, what are strategies that have withstood the test of time? Like I can go back, let's say, in the 30s, 40s, and I can come forward to now, and the data is still holding up. And so um, some of the things that show up there uh, one interesting thing is not a single diet study has withstood the test of time. So like a diet that worked for people before may not necessarily work for people now. 
um, because of differences in body types or, uh, you know, nutrient density of the foods being ingested and so forth. But one interesting thing, and this ties into the optimizing, let's say, recovery, is uh, something called flaxseed mucilage. And, and basically, I still don't know what the heck mucilage is. I've been trying to see how it's made because in the actual research studies, the descriptions are slightly different. So in one case, it looks like it's an extract of like a – sounds almost like a flaxseed – it's like a high lignin flaxseed oil. That, yeah. That's what it sounds like in study. In another study, they talk about boiling it, and it almost sounds like some sort of like like bur- like a, a flax version of oatmeal. You know, So right. I'm not quite sure if they can be used interchangeably or what the standard is at this point. But the idea is it's only a 10-gram dose, so you're talking a fairly small amount. And this would have been like the post-processed uh, weight. And um, they take uh, some small amounts of probiotics. And then what that does is that reduces the production of tons of disease risk factors. So literally, you could uh, lower uh, LDL. You can improve HDL. You could reduce body fat. You could lower blood sugar. So there's a lot of success behind this to keep people inside uh, very healthy but also outside make it so their body composition is more uh, more favorable to the direction you know to this, the, this is something you make from flax seeds or you can buy it ready to go well i haven't found a company yet selling the flax seeds so i mean like what i've been experimenting with right now um i've been using fibers a variety of fibers from flax because remember i still don't know what the heck mucilage is uh, like i haven't found like I haven't found consistent references that explain it the same way. So I don't know yet if it's purely the oil fraction or if it's almost like the protein meal fraction or something else. Um, so I've been using um, uh, a variety of fibers because I know that the way that the uh, bacteria work is they convert the fiber into other components, typically short-chain fatty acids, and if you look at the research on a short-chain fatty acids, not as it, it, it's therapeutically healing to the digestive tract, but it also has the ability to um, affect blood pressure and other things in the human body. So it's just um, um, it's just interesting, you know, that uh, in other words, some of the benefits from the probiotics may not be them directly. It could be the way that they're metabolizing our food and the products from that metabolism. Yeah. So that ties into recovery from athletes and, and or just for anyone really, but one, it's kind of inexpensive. Like if this is not like you got to spend a ton of money, um, you could literally go to like a place like Costco and buy a giant bag of flaxseed meal. It's pretty high quality. Um, you can have some fiber in that and then just make sure you got 10 grams worth of fiber and then take that with your probiotic supplement. Yeah. Just that. Yeah. I mean, that, that's been shown to be good for gut health too, just the flaxseed fiber. Right. And, and that could be, you know, now it, it, we know it's probably because of the way the bacteria are acting on the fiber. But the idea by um, if you didn't know, like the organisms inside of your body, then one way to stack the deck in your favor, like if you know, OK, lactobacillus with flaxseed fiber. Right. Well, then just right. take them both at the same right. time. And at least then, you know, you're doing something that's going to benefit you in, you know, reducing you know uh your risk for all known diseases like cancer arthritis diabetes heart disease like those are big you know things and at the same time 
making it easier for you to recover from exercise and add muscle. Like as far as I know right now, I don't see like a, any downside to it. Other maybe you have to spend money, you know, to buy the stuff, but you'd have to spend that money on something to eat anyway, you know. Yeah, flaxseed meal is inexpensive. Yeah. You're not going to be breaking the bank on that. Like say Costco, I mean, you're going to get a nice industrial zombie apocalypse size, so it'll <laughs> last you for a while. Just know how to store it, so you know, so it won't go bad. So. <laughs> Now, and then, then with probiotics, it's probably important to emphasize it has to be it has to be a blend with inulin or or FOS FOS so that it proliferates in the gut rather than just going right through. Well, so you know that's always a tough one. So like if 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 you knew, let's say exactly what someone has, there are certain pathogenic organisms that thrive on inulin or fruit oligosaccharides. Okay. So for those species, it's kind of like, like, you know, let's just say we did a stool test on you right now. And just for argument's sake, you got more bad guys than good guys. Yeah. Well, at this point, our focus might be, let's kill off the bad guys. Let's try to keep the good guys as stable as we can. We're probably going to lose some of them, but we're going to give you some probiotics and then after a period of time, you know, usually we give about 30 days, but in some cases it could take up to three months. So we usually would say one month, but some people would be three months. Then we're, we retest. We're confident the bad guys are gone because we're going to see that there's nothing there. And now to focus on the good guys. So I would introduce then like the, um, let's say the prebiotic type products like the inulin and the fructoligosaccharides at that point when I'm pretty confident. Now, if you said to me, hey, man, you know, I don't have any gas and I don't have any GI issues and I have well-formed bowel movements and they're consistent same time every day, yeah. then I would say, all right, you're probably good. You know, like if you did have anything on the, let's say, the bad guy side, it's probably minimal. Like we all have stuff inside of us. So no one's going to be like a sterile environment on the inside. Um, and but, then some, some people are so bloated, it looks like they have an alien trying to come out of their rib cage. You know, that would be an example of, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Sarah's laughing because he knows who I'm talking about. Oh, God. And it's more than one person, I might add. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, that's a clear sign that you've got some serious GI gut health issues going on. You know, it's funny because one time I ate at this. I was with my brother in Arizona, and we ate at this one vegetarian restaurant. We we both had these tempeh sandwiches. And, man, that stuff was – I mean, I've never had a problem with tempeh either. I have it every once in a while. But something about this place, how they prepared it or what what was in it that I didn't want in it, that – caused some serious issues with the gut. I mean, I've never had bloating that starts from the rib cage, you know, and then goes down. And it was like that for the whole night. It was miserable. But for a lot of people, that's their daily experience. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so some some tools that people can, um, you know, add to, let's say, their flax and probiotic. One is uh, cranberries that also can really help influence the microbiome in a positive way. Essentially, um, it'll benefit the ur- uh, urinary tract, so it'll make it yeah. harder for bacteria to adhere to the, uh, you know, to the inside of the urethra and other areas of the ureter and stuff like that. Yeah, cranberries are great for urinary tract infections. You should just have a bottle of that around. Yeah, a lot I mean, of college students works almost instantly. <laughs> for other reasons. Yeah, I mean it works almost instantly. You could have some kind of urinary issue, and two caps of cranberry, of a cranberry extract works within minutes. Yes. Yeah, so here's some interesting things when um when cranberry either cranberries or cranberry extracts are ingested a period of time, they affect not only uh, things like you know um, 
urinary tract, let's say if there's any bacteria growth or anything, um, they affect things like endothelial cell function. The endothelial cells are these cells that line the blood vessels, and they help with a variety of things. One, like blood pressure. Uh, two, things like controlling lipid metabolism, so like getting rid of bad fat, you know, and keeping the good fat, and also regulating blood sugar. Uh, the interesting thing about a lot of these strategies is, um, so we mentioned the flax, now the cranberries, and the other thing is uh, purple uh, potatoes. Mm. The significance of that is they benefit people no matter what type of diet they're following. So, you know, you're always going to meet guys like one guy's doing his own and one guy's doing paleo and one guy's doing, you know, he's vegan or whatever. Like it doesn't right. matter right. which strategy. These are tools that'll help anyone. And, you know, they're, 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 uh, there's, there's nothing that we see so far. Like over time, the benefits greatly outweigh any sort of risks or negatives. And um, this impacts, you know, most athletes don't think about tools that affect endothelial function. But what that means is that affects your ability to get rid of fatigue metabolites during and after exercise, which affects your recovery. You know, so one of the things, um, one of the mechanisms by which, say, massage has been theorized to benefit people from recovery is um, you have this thing called reactive hyperemia. So let's say you work out, you like, hey, I feel a little sore, and then go get a massage. When a therapist applies pressure to, let's say, your body, so let's say they have the hand on your back. Yeah. The pressure from their hand, it restricts blood flow because it's like stepping on a hose, right? So now there's no water going through the hose. Well, right. someone's got pressure in your tissue, there's no blood going through that vessel. But once they release the pressure, that upregulates signals that tell the body, drive more blood here. And so that compensatory reaction, which is healthy reaction, it's going to now serve to get rid of local fatigue metabolites. And so as a result, you're less likely to get neutrophils and other cells to go to that area. And they're going to try to repair damaged tissue, but in the process, they're going to actually cause more damage before they actually do the repair. So these, you know, a strategy like that is dependent upon affecting blood flow, basically. And so now we're talking about foods that when taken probiotics can improve blood flow throughout your body, which then, you know, maybe it means you need less massages or something. Like it may translate to you not needing something else and you have impact on multiple systems of your body, not just yeah. like, you know, how you feel on your skin or something. Right. That's very interesting. So how much, what would be the, just talking about cranberry, what, what, what would be the recommended dosage? Let's say you talk about an, an extract. You know, I, I would say, I, I guess it depends on, you know, how it's uh, concentrated, you know. But yeah. I, I would say, like, typically you see the stuff, it's like 60 to 120 pills in a bottle. So you're probably thinking like two to four a day, you know. Right. And the way that I would take this stuff myself is uh, – I'm I'm more of a fan of smaller amounts of nutrients all day long. Right. Um, so that way, the idea anytime I need it, it's there. Yeah. Uh, but with understanding, like you know, sometimes like uh, B vitamins, you know, it's kind of like there's like forty thousand percent, and it's like two cents a pill. So I'm yeah. not going to try to find a one thousand percent. You know what I mean? Because it's probably going to be even more money <laughs> than. Right. two cents for the whole big pill. So right, right. like there's some, you know, I guess common sense you got to look at. Like a lot of times we'll see uh, copper is one of those supplements that a good form of copper retail price like $8 a month. 
so for most people, that pill might be more than they need, you know, but the fact is it doesn't make sense to spend more money for a smaller dose. (laughs) So, so logically like, all right, we'll just take the larger dose only because somehow in manufacturing world, that's the number they came up with that they run with, you know, like two milligrams copper. Okay. So you may only need one milligram, but you're not going to pay three times the price for half the dose. Often they put in more than you need just because otherwise you feel like you're getting ripped off. Right, it's like, oh, it's only one milligram in here. It's like, yeah, it's all you need, but we'll put four milligrams in there because it's so inexpensive that it, it'll cost virtually. It, it really won't cost any more to put four times as much copper in capsule. Who's to say they can even, you know, utilize that four times as much? You know, they probably could only use that one. Well, they're still going to get the one they need, but in yeah. their mind, they're thinking, oh, I'm getting four. Four is better <laughs> <Right>. than one. <laughs> so still with it. Even though they're only going to get one, whether they take one or four, they're still thinking four is better than one. Right. So more and more is better mentality. Now, in terms of that cranberry, what if, what if they're not necessarily – you still going to have those folks who don't want to take the supplement. So would the juice be enough? Or and if it is, like how much would they need, you know, daily for that? So, well, if I was going to do, let's say, um, uh, let's say cranberry juice, I would do some type of uh, like, uh, you know, organic cranberry juice that is got minimal processing and filtering because you want you want the um, constituents in it. Like you want some of the particulate matter, um, you want, like some of the skin. Yeah, you want some of the skin stuff. You want all the, the pigment that causes the color. That's where the like the therapeutic effects, the beneficial effects are, and then I'd say maybe one or two cups a day. Um, you know, I, I, the context would be what else are you doing? If let's just say you're doing cranberry juice only, and you mm-hmm. say maybe one or two cups a day. If you said, well, I'm going to do a purple grape juice as well. Well, now you have proanthocyanidins and other pigments from that. So maybe do one cup of each. And then if you said, well, I'm going to add, you know, I'm going to eat some purple potatoes. You know what I mean? So now effectively you could reduce the dose of each one because you have a greater variety of these, um, let's say, natural antioxidants or, or flavonoids in the diet that could benefit you. So, you know, so there's like a context to what else are you doing? All right. Okay. Yeah, so it's accumulation, purple potatoes, cranberry. With the cranberry juice, often it's high in sugar. Or if, or if it's not sweetened, it's extremely bitter. Yeah, so if it's a raw, let's say, um, or rather if it's a, an organic where there's no sugar added, yeah. it's mm-hmm. going to have more of a, like a sour type of or a tart maybe profile. Right. And then, well, that, that's where, you know, like some guys would say, well, I'm going to add a little bit of this. To, like their own cocktail would be. Like 100% pure cranberry juice, and they have 100% pure purple grape juice. Yeah. And that purple grape is super sweet. Like, that'll sweeten anything up. And so then you can make your own mixture. Like, that's like a perfect recipe for, like, smoothies in the morning and stuff like that. Sure. You know, and then however you do it. I mean, what I found for me is um, the first time I do something, I may not like the taste of it. But if I do it often enough, I become immune to the fact that it tastes terrible. Right. It doesn't bother me anymore. And so I think a lot of that is just, you know, your personal taste tolerance. Try try that. Try that strategy with onion juice. 
<laughs> I, don't, I don't think you're ever going to attack. So, nope, Dude, still onions. So the next time I see you and I knock you out with codfish for my breath. Exactly. Like, oh, and he's been drinking that onion juice. I don't, care. I don't care how often someone tries to adapt to that. That stuff's horrible. There was there was there was one study. It was like a small study in I forget what part of the world, but it was something about onion juice being the poor man's testosterone booster. And I was like, all right, I'll give this a shot. You know. I, I juiced a couple onions, put it in there. I tried try to take a shot of it. I mean, it took everything to just, to hold that down. And I have a, I have an iron stomach, you know. I can handle a lot, but this stuff was repugnant, man. Yeah. There's no way could it make that a habit. So, I don't care what the benefits are. Poor man's testosterone booster, but it's also going to be the lonely lonely man ways of staying by himself for the rest of his life because uh, he's going to jack up his social life. Oh, it's going to be a it's going to be a poor man's gut. Destroyer as well. Yeah, that thing sure. is gonna have your stomach on fire. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what, whatever benefits yeah, uh, come from that are gonna be nullified fast. Yeah. And, and it doesn't stop because then you, you, when you go pee, you're gonna smell it even worse. It's just like you're gonna pee onion juice. You just like it's just it's a never ending. It's the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got a story I call the uh, girl shake experiment, and uh, try to be quick. But years ago, I was writing an article. And uh, for Muscle Magazine, and it's under a tight deadline. And my uh, my wife at the time, she went to work. She had made dinner for me, and I was busy writing. So she puts it on a plate, you know, wraps it, puts it in the refrigerator. So now I'm, I'm like, my stomach is growling. I'm starving, but I'm like trying to get this thing done. And I'm, I'm, I'm so long ways off. I'm like, I better eat. And then somehow between my office and where the kitchen was, let's say like 20 foot distance, maybe less, I come up with this genius idea. If I throw this in a blender, I could drink it and I could be done with my meal faster. <laughs> so I go, I grip out, whip out the blender and I got like a regular, you know, solid food meal and I'm just throwing it in the blender. And then I get this idea. Hey, I think I see some onions in the refrigerator. Well, onions are healthy. So I grab a couple of whole onions, just throw that in. I even peel off the brown <laughs> skin on the outside, just throw it right in. And uh, then I see this minced garlic. And being the genius that I am, I, of course, do not read the label because I know what's in there, right? So I just start grabbing a teaspoon and taking scoops and throwing it in the blender. And then after I get done, I don't know why, but that's when I decide to read the label. And it goes, one-eighth inch teaspoon equals one clove of garlic. So I got like 24 cloves of garlic now. <laughs> With about two, two, two and a half, three onions. I don't remember. I grabbed like a bunch of what was there. So I start this thing on, and there's actually fumes coming from the blender. My eyes are still here. Now remember, it's, it's, I put a lid on the top so it's sealed, and there's already fumes coming out. And, my eyes <laughs> and literally just as I'm about to open up the lid, the door opens, and, and uh, my ex-wife got home early, and she's like, what's that smell? <laughs> and she's hit by the doorway. I'm like, uh, that's uh, the dinner. She's like, what do you mean a dinner? And I was like, I put uh, the food in a blender. She's like, you put my good cooking in the blender? <laughs> like, she's baffled. Like, why on earth would I do that? So I'm trying to explain to her my rationale. Well, I'm pressed for time. I figured if I made a shake, I could drink the shake. And she's like, who the hell puts chicken and salad in the blender? <laughs> I do. I do. <laughs> you know, what's yep. the problem with this? <laughs> and, so, now, and, now, and now we know why she's your ex-wife. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, she's, uh, <laughs> she moved out shortly after. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, I open up the lid now. 
And dude, I, I must have had like some type of reaction. My face is red, and she's like, "What happened to your face?" <laughs> and of course, I can't see my face yet. I just know my eyes are watery. And now it's like I gotta drink it because she stared there. I just put her food in the blender, and I'm like, "Oh, it's no problem." I start drinking this, and I swear it, it felt okay going down. It didn't taste necessarily the best, but once it hit my stomach, it felt like pure acid was hitting my stomach somehow. <laughs> And uh, it felt really uncomfortable, like like comfortable point. I learned never to do that again. And so anyway, um, we call that the garlic shake experiment because of the, the 24, you know, uh, relatively 24 cloves of garlic that were in it. But literally my skin <laughs> reeked for days after that. <laughs> so, well, it's a, good, it's, a good, it's a good mosquito repellent. <laughs> <Yes. Florida. laughs> Unfortunately, it's a good woman repellent as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm now single. <laughs> but hey, you don't have to worry about the Zika virus. So hey, there you go. It's a win-win. Yep. <laughs> it keeps uh, keeps mosquitoes and gold diggers away, I guess, are the positives. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we're doing this as a what a podcast, <laughs> not live. <laughs> oh, it's going to be live soon, buddy. Don't worry. <laughs> they just have me in a separate room. <laughs> Anything else to add on strategies for recovery? So I just wanted to share those things. Yeah, because, oh, those um, are cool. That they're, they're kind of like easy things that anyone could do. It doesn't yeah, matter or their, their diet you're following or um, even the medication for the most part. I mean, I'm sure there'll probably be outlier situations, but it just made it, you know, without knowing each individual's needs, that might be a good strategy. Now, um, some things, you know, since we did talk a little bit about testosterone, you know, over and over again, I can't tell you how many guys that come here that we wind up testing them and they wind up having a sleep issue oh, and be like, no, my sleep is fine. My wife says I don't snore. And my wife would be sometimes there in an appointment like, no, he doesn't snore. And, you know, the way I was I was educated, it's kind of like, you know, if you have sleep apnea, you're going to make some sounds. It could be snoring, it could be something else. And that's how you know. And then you kind of get tested and then, you know. And I'm finding guys now, uh, so most of these guys would have been uh, former NFL guys or MMA guys. They have something called central sleep apnea. So basically their brain shuts off and they stop breathing because their brain is not telling them to breathe. Mm. So it's, it's a form of sleep apnea, but it's not the typical like, you know, I'm snoring or I'm choking. It's a, it's a totally different uh, type of mechanism, if you will. And uh, I, I don't know if there's actual, you know, data showing there's increased prevalence in certain sports, but at least with the subjects, or I should say with the, the patients that we see, there is a history of, uh, you know, guys that played offensive linemen or guys that played linebacker or, you know, guys that have been in more of a, a direct, you know, fighting sport like boxing or MMA type stuff. Um, and I mentioned that only because, you know, outwardly they seem fine. Like you're not going to look at this guy – and think there's anything wrong with him because his issue happens, you know, basically at night when he's alone. And the significance of that is there's a lot of data showing issues with sleep impact our ability to metabolize glucose. So now a lot of people may be treated for diabetes with a medication or some other strategy when really the root cause would be sleep for them. And then guys, let's say even guys injecting testosterone that still have erectile dysfunction issues. Yeah. 
the reason why the testosterone may not be having the impact is because there's an increase in the production of a cytokine called interleukin-1-beta. And just to put things in perspective, interleukin-1-beta, it's, it, it's, it's more of a bad guy than, let's say, testosterone is a good guy. Right. So even when the guy's injecting testosterone, the negative effects of the interleukin-1-beta outweigh the positive effects of testosterone to the extent that, you know, you got to get it addressed or it's almost like, you know, throwing your money away. It's like you're paying for something or you're doing a strategy, but it'll never work because right. this other issue is a more of an important matter to deal with. Right. So I just started out there because it kind of fit in some of the stuff we're talking about. And of course, that does, you know, tie into recovery. Would, some, would, would a strategy for mitigating inflammation be effective there? So if someone's taking TRT and then they're getting an increase, they just, in the, but they would be, would a, would a strategy for managing inflammation to help with that so that they get an improvement in ED? Yeah, and like generally speaking, sure. And, you know, that could simply be, you know, like the probiotics we talked about earlier. Yeah. Um, it could be like uh, a blend of like curcumin, boswellia, maybe maca and berberine. Like um, I, I had done a presentation actually a couple of weeks ago, and you know, one of my statements during the presentation was that it's taken us thousands of years to basically realize that the guys thousands of years ago knew what they were doing. <laughs> so basically, <laughs> we've taken all these you know, herbal cocktails, and we say there's no research on it. They've been used for years with success, but now we're going to you know, isolate the active constituents. We're going to test them individually. Now we understand what's going on. Now we're going to recombine them all. <laughs> and what we've done is a lot of money and time and effort to basically show, yeah, those guys really did know what they were doing. <laughs> so <laughs> and what you kind of see is um, – Kind of is a common theme, you know. So, like with nutrition, variety has value. Right. Like for guys that eat, you know, the same twelve foods all the time, they're not as healthy long term. With herbs, you see that a variety of herbs has a lot better impact many times than, let's say, a high dose of one herb. Right. You know. Right. Challenge for us here is, you know, just the doctors, or you know, at least in. Um, Allopathic medicine are generally not trained in that area, so it's such a foreign concept to them. Yeah. Where they're looking about a single drug for a single condition, you know, right. or a single symptom. It's different to think, okay, I'm going to give a guy a hundred herbs that's got such tiny amounts of each one, and somehow it's going to help him. You know, yeah. it's just yeah. a whole concept. Right. Um, but even like antioxidants, you know, small amounts of a wide variety of antioxidants seems to work way better than a high amount of one. Mm. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. That's the way it's found in nature, right? So you're just replicating that. Well, it's, you know, it's funny to see that the other day I had, um, had a, a, a female patient, and I could tell from talking to her within a minute that nothing I was going to do was going to work with her. Yeah. <laughs> and it had nothing to do with the tool or the strategy. And so basically, before we actually have a consult, she's telling me what she's going to do. <laughs> so I said, if you already have a plan, maybe we should just, you know, postpone the consult and you should execute your strategy first. Yeah. And then once you get the result, then see what we could do at that point. Yeah. She's like, no, no, I want to meet with you now. I'm here. And we got to get this. <laughs> right? She's probably, she's probably hoping that you're just going to confirm what exactly. she's already doing. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's exactly what was going on. Yeah. Right. So we meet. And I uh, had uh, one of the physicians with, and you know, there as well. And 
you know, I look at physician, and physician looks at me, and we basically got the same idea. You know, you got something going on with your gut, and we got to do some testing. And I was like, look, you know, I'm not one of those guys that says, let's do it half-fast. I'm the type of person, I want to measure every detail. And because of that, it's going to be more expensive, you know, so you don't have to do it. Like, I'm not, there's no one calling you to sell you anything. But if you come to me and you say, I want this done, my philosophy is do it right or just don't do it at all. Don't yeah. do it in between yeah. and then make up something so you feel better about it afterwards, right? right, right. So. I said to do this the way I would do it, I would do this for three days. I would use two different laboratories and here's all the you know stuff I would measure. It's gonna be thirty two hundred bucks. And she says, Well, I don't I don't want to spend thirty two hundred bucks, so that's okay. There's you know, I'm just telling you based on what you share with me, here's what I would recommend. Now there's another option and and then the plan the option B would be if you say, Hey, thirty two hundred dollars is outside my budget, what I would say to you then is, Hey, let's do this strategy here to assume that these bad guys are present and let's kill off these bad guys and then let's repopulate with these good guys and this strategy statistically will work in about 84 percent of people so yeah. there's a small percentage of one of 16 percent and you know let's see you know if that is more acceptable so she's like nope I think I'm just going too fast <laughs> so, <laughs> so after what she left and I, I looked at my team, you know, we have a, a bunch of professionals here and, and guys with different backgrounds. And I was like, you know, the reality is she didn't even need to do a consult, right? She just threw away 700 bucks for, yeah. for a consult because she wasn't going to change what she was going to do no matter what I said or did. But the, only, the only silver lining is at least you got paid for your time. You know, that's a lot better than, let's <laughs> say, a friend asking you for advice and then they're just going to tell you what they're going to do, which they were already planning on doing anyway irrespective of your advice. They, yeah, were, they so, were just hoping that you would say, oh, that's a great plan. Go ahead. Yeah, so I guess I agree with you that, you know, it's always better to be compensated, you know, for the, the effort you put into it. But, you know, the way I was kind of looking at it is that, um, like, I don't ever want to take money from someone that I can't help. But yeah, at the sure, same time, sure. I, I'm not, you know, I'm trying to change the there's, direction. There's no gratification with just taking the money and, she just goes on and doesn't follow any of your advice. Yeah. It will be especially when – so it's kind of like this. You know you know you could help me, and you got the answer. It's burning a hole inside of your brain because you want to just tell me what the answer is, right? Yeah, yeah. And I come to you and say, hey, man, tell me what to do. I'm begging you. Tell me what to do. <laughs> and now you tell me, like, man – I just got to take a nap, <laughs> you know, like I got to lay door everything you said. It's kind of like a letdown, right? Of some right, kind. Right. And so, but on the other hand, you know, let's say outside of that, at the same time, I got a buddy's mom who just gets diagnosed with leukemia. I'm not confident that the, uh, the diagnosis is correct based on my review of the lab results. I got other doctors looking at it and like i don't think it's leukemia either so i got like different perspectives and all coming to the same conclusion like they don't you know they might be something else so i would have focused my effort you know like i would have put more time into reviewing like studies pertaining to an outcome for that case you know that like would be for me a more fulfilling experience that would then say all right the next person that comes in like even if i wasn't paid for that time next person that comes with leukemia I'll be that much more savvy and aware of the studies that come out, let's say, in the last six months, right? So I can help that person much more quickly. Right. That's, you know, right. in terms of that, that's kind of what I understand. So 
Um, we mentioned in the outline before uh, talking a little bit about getting results, uh, what to do when you're not getting results from training. And uh, you guys want to touch upon that? Why don't we Why don't we save that for another episode? Because we've had you on for a while now. I've covered a ton of good information, and I don't want people to I don't want the listeners to take you for granted. <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna let people know where they can find out more about you and hire you for some consulting work and how your whole shebang works. So where can people find out more about you? Um, just go to uh, humanhealthspecialist.com right now. Um, they could sign up for a newsletter for free. They're not going to get anything right away. They'll probably get something in another month or two. Um, and, then and you're you're available for, you're, you're you're available for distance consults as well, right? They don't just have not just people in your locality. We operate as consultants to people from a distance, but we have the ability to test people live. Um, you know, I have some guys like, hey, I've got a close relationship with a, a, a doctor locally. I'd like to maintain that relationship. If you just suggest a test, you'll order them for me, you know, so they keep that relationship. And then I would just be paid as a consultant to review them and share some ideas. And versus, you know, really uh, hire us, we could test them where they are. What, what tends to happen, what I'll say, um, actually today I have a guy, one of the first podcasts I did with you, um, this was one of the guys that heard a first podcast, and I've been working with him ever since. Oh, and great. He flies in, yeah, he flies in about every three months or so. And, um, you know, what's, but basically what happens is as I start work with guys, they become aware of all the other stuff that we do that we don't really talk about because it doesn't fit the context of the show sometimes. And um, he's in today and we're going to do some really cool stuff, uh, basically more assessing his nervous system. Because there's just like ways you could test someone to see things much faster than a blood test or some other uh, methods that might be available. And, you know, as you start stacking in this data from the, like, the nervous system, the endocrine system, you know, vitamin mineral measurements and some other things like some performance measures, you get to really kind of fill in all the gaps and see where someone's weak links are within their system. Right. Well, sounds good, man. Always, always a great wealth of information. Ton of great stuff today, and look forward to having you back again soon. Yeah. So, one last question. So, like, um, the next time I see you guys, are you going to be like sniffing me out if I smell like garlic? I'm not going to sniff you. I'm sure sniff you. I'm sure. I'm sure your presence will precede you. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You, 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 and sniffing are not two things. That <laughs> like when I think of you, Thomas, I don't think of sniffing. Okay. It's <laughs> the last thing on my mind. <laughs> I knew that was going to open up some doors. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm sure it will eventually. <laughs> I mean, some people may take that as an invitation. So you, may exactly. some, I mean, you may have some new listeners getting in touch with you. <laughs> and some other people hey, flying man, out to see for other reasons, man. <laughs> well, great. Uh, you, you keep up the great work. And uh, please, please let us know if you, have, you get any updates on the high dose probiotic you're talking about, you're looking yes. at something that's going to be a trillion per cap or close to it. I'm thinking 3 trillion right now, but at this point I'm kind of talking out loud because I don't have confirmation from the facilities. So like, you know, there, there, isn't, there isn't a company that even makes that right. So this is something that you're trying to initiate. Yeah. No one's making anything like that right now. Um, and so the challenge is one, okay, find a company that can do it. And then two, I got to find another company that could test it that's not financially connected to me or that the company making it, right? That way I know the data is real. Like I don't, you know, I want to pay someone to tell me yes. You know what I mean? I want to pay someone to tell me the truth. <laughs> and 
that's kind of the challenge right now is there's like a lot of things, you know, these guys are connected in ways you don't know about. And so that it's hard to make, to, to, to navigate these waters. Right. Right. I can imagine. Well, cool, man. Thanks again for everything. You have a great day. Take care. You guys take care. Take care. Tom. All right. Another great episode with Tom Inklin on. Make sure that check out his website, support him. And if you feel like you need his expertise, don't just reach out for him for a free consult, pay him for his services, do what this other listener did. who's actually flying out there. That's dedication right there. Exactly. <laughs> cool, man. I thought we would talk about this UFC a little bit that's coming up on <clears throat> this Saturday. We've got, of course, Nick Diaz, Nate Diaz rather, versus Conor McGregor. But even some of the earlier fights look really good. Anthony Johnson versus Glover Teixeira yeah, and then Cerrone versus Rick Story. So I thought we would just break down the the last three, the three main fights. What do you think about Cerrone versus Story? Uh, I actually kind of see Cerrone getting ready to start another I don't know. I, I, I think he can start another tear. Yeah. You know, to get yeah. right back into the picture again. Yeah. And, you know, and it's all about the timing, you know, this time around. But I can say this much. I, I don't think it's going to be a boring fight. I don't think so either. <laughs> you know, because yeah. you know, just one thing about it. I mean, I've never seen a boring cowboy fight and Rick Story, he goes all in, man. So it's like a, it's a perfect, it's a perfect combination for a great fight, man. So yeah, Rick, Rick Story doesn't have like Cerrone, of course, has a very exciting fighting style. Story doesn't have the most interesting fighting style, but he has a very effective style. Very effective, but, and he yeah. doesn't quit. <laughs> he just grinds on. Yeah, him. man. He, he, he reminds me of Matt well Brown. You know, he's one of those grinders, man. Yeah. You know, he does very well against strikers. Like I remember, I bet on him against Safferdine, and he won that. And it was a it wasn't the most interesting fight in the world, but it was a very effective fight. Right. He was he was able to nullify all of Safferdine's skills, his striking. He was able just to just use that wrestling wear and tear style. Or you're just keeping the pressure on the whole time. Yeah, but I feel, you know, being a cowboy, he's not going to be he, – he doesn't have the option to be boring. No. <laughs> you know, no. And, and just grind it out. He's going to have to step up or get knocked out. <laughs> okay. It's just one of the Cowboys, – Cowboy is very good at a distance too. So I don't think Story is going to be able to just get in on him right. and just crush him against the cage for the whole fight. Nah. <laughs> nah. So I think, I think Cerrone will win that fight, but I think it will be entertaining for sure. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Glover and, and, you know, Rumble, it's, it's, it's interesting up in probably to the second round. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Cause I mean, both of them are not known for the cardio. Okay. Look, Glover, Glover has to get out of that first round. Yeah. <laughs> Anthony, Anthony, everyone, everyone's in trouble in that first round. Everyone. Exactly. He almost finished Cormier in that first round. And then Cormier managed to survive that and, Managed to get the better of him in the second round, but everybody is in danger in that first round. It's, <laughs> it's like it's a it finishes long. Finishes people in that first round. Yeah, it's gonna be a long five minutes. <laughs> I think if Glover gets out of the first round, it starts leaning in his direction as a favor, especially if it gets to the third. But I don't know if it will get out of the first round. <laughs> I don't think it will most likely. But if it does, then I think Glover. Glover's tough, and he's also a very good striker. Anthony, I think it, I think a lot of people make too much of Anthony's cardio. They're often saying that's his weak link, and that's not really the case. I mean, when he fought Phil Davis, that went three rounds, and he was on fire the entire time. Against Cormier, I think he just had an adrenaline dump more than anything else. It's just that excitement of like, okay, I can actually get the belt, and I don't have to worry about John Jones right now. <laughs> you know, right? Somebody it was just a yeah. Who who wouldn't want to like try to just get that done? You know. Like it's probably your one chance to ever be champ. Yeah, and 
I mean, so the refs are saying that, or one of the refs said that Anthony Johnson has, he's the most powerful striker they've ever seen in the ring. Like Big John McCarthy said oh, yeah. that. <laughs> probably, yeah, they're probably feeling, feeling all those. Every time he hits someone, they probably can feel it right there. They're probably like, damn. Well, I mean, he, he knocked out Ryan Bader on the ground. I know. On a head strike, he just knocked him. You just saw his body go limp. Yeah, that's called a that's called a club parking lot beatdown. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that guy, that guy's striking is scary. Like when he unloads on someone, it's frightening, man. How vicious that attack yeah. is. And when and when he gets on someone, forget it. He's beat some really tough guy like Gustafson, who's a really tough fighter. Once he when he beat him, he he had him in trouble, and then he just pounced. He just didn't let up. I mean, Gustafson was just trying to get away. He was just trying to get away to hopefully recover, and right. Johnson didn't let him. Like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he hits you so hard that your instinct is that to get away is where I'm yeah. going. So in other words, you don't just eat that and keep going forward. So even really tough guys like Gust- Gustafson get hit. They're not like, okay, I can eat that and keep going. He's like, no, let me get away. I got to get away. I got to get away. That, that didn't feel great. Nope. <laughs> didn't like it. <laughs> even even Cormier, when he got hit, he was thinking, okay, here comes Anthony running at me. If I get hit again, I'm done. Right. <laughs> he basically ran away too. But And I'm not saying that in a bad way. He just wanted to get out of his just get out of his way, and he's like, if I can survive this onslaught, I think Anthony thought, okay, I'm going to finish the fight right now, and he gave everything he had, and then he went into that second round burned out, which is an interesting analogy for the next fight, because Nate Diaz Cotter, Connor keeps claiming that a similar thing happened to him, that he just gave everything he had in that first round. Well, what I don't like about what Connor is saying is that he keeps talking about what he did wrong as opposed to what Nate did right. <laughs> I still haven't given I, I still haven't heard him give any credit for Nate's exceptional groundwork in that second round. Like if there's the, there's a breakdown that Dan Hardy does on YouTube where he does in slow motion all the technical moves that Nate Diaz did on the ground with Connor. It wasn't as simple as he just got Connor on the ground and got on top of him and choked him out. It was extremely technical how he trapped one leg, how he forced Connor to go a certain way so right. he knew what the next outcome would be. It's like he, Dan Hardy basically said that Nate knew every option that Connor had when he had him in a certain position. So he knew exactly <laughs> yeah. where he had to go and where and what he would try to do. It was and the ultimate chess the, match, you know. At the very end, he punched his head once to get his head closer to Nate's exactly. arm, took him out. And then he was about to punch him again, and he realized he didn't have to because he already had his head where he wanted to be, and then he just sunk in the choke. Right. So it's an extremely interesting breakdown. And uh, I actually just finished reading Connor's coach's book, John Cavanaugh, which is a great book, by the way. But at the very end, he talks about that first fight between Connor and Nate. And it's, it's the same thing. It's just talking about what Connor did wrong rather than what Nate did right. right. And then Connor keeps saying, oh, Nate's, Nate's only pluses are he's strong and can take – or he's tough and can take a hit. It's like, come on, man. <laughs> if the, I mean, I don't know if this is just talk where he's just trying to mentally – I'm or he's even doing the talking because, you know, going by what you said from that book, a lot of times these fighters are repeating what their coaches have been telling them over and over. So they kind of get brainwashed and start repeating right. stuff. Right. You hear it so much, it becomes truth. Even though something deep down inside you're like, nah, that's not quite it. But no, but my coach said so. Like, okay, he's the right. coach. Let's listen to him. But your subconscious still think like, eh, you may not want to go in with that type of thinking. But when you hear Nate talk, right, because people keep asking them, it's like, are you, know, you going to kick his ass? Or are you going to make him pay? What do you think about what he said here? He doesn't get emotional at all. He's no. he never not once have I heard him say I fucked him up last time. I'm gonna fuck him Which up is again. Quite scary for Nate because you know any other time it's like he'll, he'll bring it up and you know they get very emotional. But this time he's been very calm and just like well he Connor says he's gonna do this. Well he he better 
yeah, yeah. I love that conversation. You better do that. You That's better, what you better do. It's just like, oh, it's like there's no, you know, there's no comeback or anything like that. No way to come back. Like, well, I, if he does that, I'm gonna do this. And it's more like, nah, he better do that. <laughs> He's like, well, what are you going to do? He's like, well, you're just going to have to tune in on August 20th to find out. <laughs> he, pulled, he pulled the Donald Trump. He's like, well, how are you going to do this with foreign policy? Come on, once I get elected, I'll tell you. Like, nah, nah, nah. And then there's this press conference where uh, they're like, oh, Connor just put up a tweet. And then Nate's like, well, what did he say? <laughs> and then uh, Nate's they're like, what do you think about that? And Nate goes, I think Connor got his ass kicked last time. So what I think about that. <laughs> and that was, that was, that was like soon after the first fight when they were trying to make this happen at UFC 200. But now I've noticed that every interview with him is very calm. He's very methodical. He's more focused on doing his own thing. Even when they, even when people asked him like, Oh, Kavanaugh says he's going to knock you out in the fourth round. He goes, well, yeah, they can think whatever they want. You know, I, I've got some ideas of what I'm going to do. You know, my camp thinks it's going to turn out this way. His camp's going to think it turns out that way. We'll see what happens. This is what what people do. You know, of course, you're supposed to believe in yourself. You're supposed to believe in your fighter. This is the fight game. This is what we do for a living. I'm like, oh, it's like, okay, that's scary. He's way too calm. (laughs) But what I feel is that Nate already has a lot of confidence, not just because he beat Connor, but because he's been fighting for so long. He's very very confident with his abilities. He's working with the best boxing people. People often talk about how Nate's asset is the ground and then Connor's is standing. I don't agree with that. I think Nate's standing stand-up is incredible. I think his boxing boxing is ridiculous, man. Yeah, yeah. I think think he's a better boxer. Those jabs are ridiculous. It just just picks you apart piece by piece and just not only does it chip away at your face, you know, starts chipping away at your confidence and your your brain. You know, you're sitting there thinking like anything that you thought you were going to go in and do, like, well, I don't want to go in now. You know, I don't want to play him close. I don't want to try to go on the inside because every time I try to do that, I keep getting jabbed. And all of a sudden, I can't see out of my left eye. And I didn't realize when that happened, you know, because yeah. it didn't exactly like go for a, a hard overhand right or something like that. It's just like just chipping away at that eye. And next thing you know, you're you're missing half the fight because your eye is closed, <laughs> you know. So and it's, it's very smart. It's very smart. Oh, extremely smart. I saw his brother with I – I remember Steve Maxwell and I saw a UFC live with Nick Diaz versus BJ Penn. Mm-hmm. And we were close enough to the ring where you could see facial expressions. So it was really interesting. Right. In the first round, everyone agrees that BJ Penn basically won that round. But in the second round, you could see the turn – that you could see the change of the guard. Right. Where all of a sudden, this like Nate, the, the accumulation of Nick's – punches over and over and over yep. again. None of them were knockout punches, but it was just pity pat, pat, yep. pat, pat, pat. All of a sudden you saw this look of defeat on BJ's face. Like the accumulation had caught up to him. Yep. And from By the that, end of that point, fight, you actually saw him. You yeah. saw the look yeah. you know, of defeat on his face because his face didn't look the same. It was just like, and it was just like, when did that happen? You know, just those little pats, like you said, a little pit pat, like doom, doom, just over and you over. Saw, right? He had a look at, de- I mean, he, he had a look at defeat. He lost that fight. And then even when in the post fight interview, he said, uh, I don't want to do this again. I mean, I, yep, I remember he's retiring. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, he's like, I don't want to look like this going home to my family because his face was all busted up. Yeah. And when you looked at, the punches Nick was throwing, they were very deceptive because they didn't really seem like they were doing that much damage, but it was the accumulation of them over three rounds. I mean, imagine Look if it were a five-round fight. Five you keep beating on that same spot over and over and over. It doesn't matter how hard you're hitting it. Eventually, it's, it's going to give way. And then especially if you're putting, you know, getting past those gloves, put a little bone on bone, you know, <laughs> the face can only take so much. I mean, you got to understand, those tissues are not that thick. Well, I mean, and Nate did the same thing with Connor, where everyone talks about how Connor just beat him up in the first round. And yeah, Connor won the first round, no doubt about it. Nate landed strikes too, which is what enabled him to 
really hurt him in the second round because, again, it was the accumulation of everything he did in the first round and then the second round. It wasn't just one hard punch that stumbled Connor on his feet where his legs went wobbly. That was the accumulation. He kneed him in the stomach. He hit him a couple times in the first round. Yeah, to my yeah, what was that whole thing Connor was talking about? Precision, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> to my yeah, you know, Nate just took some of his own medicine and used it against him on that one. <laughs> yeah, he's like, uh, I was. I mean, he's like, I wasn't efficient with my energy, and then Rafael Tosanios, <laughs> his strength coach, says like, oh, that's something that my fighters will never say. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so that one will be interesting, man. Can can Connor win the fight? Of course, he can win the fight. Anything can happen in this thing. I don't see that happening, so I'm planning on betting on Nate. I missed out last time. <laughs> you know, my friend Dave, Dave Gunter bet like 300 bucks on uh, Nate winning, and that was a 3-1 to one underdog, so he had a nice night. And Nate is still an underdog in this fight, albeit a much smaller underdog. He's still the underdog, a slight underdog. Yeah. It'll be interesting, man. I'm curious to see what happens. I'm also curious to see what happens if Connor loses in a similar fashion in terms of his star power. Right. His his ability to is, put butts in seats. How, how tarnished will that be, if anything? Yeah, I mean, does that or do or the excuses made like, well, you know, that was a different weight class, so it, you know that doesn't really affect the <laughs> one forty five class. It wasn't like you know they fought there or hell even lightweight. You know, they wouldn't even fight in that weight class. You know, it's just you gotta wonder. You gotta wonder. But the funniest is when you're watching some of this behind the scenes stuff, and they show like his family and girlfriend's reaction when he got choked out, and and his girlfriend looked like he died in there. Her facial expression. I mean, she was just she looked like his arm just got shot off or something. I was like, like Jesus, he just a, lost a fight, man. It's not the end of the world. He didn't die. She's there. like, oh, looks like we're gonna be stuck in Ireland. Like, no, you're choking out our money. To my and our new lifestyle, I'm, I'm getting quite used to being here in America now. <laughs> I think I mean if Connor wins this, then there's a, then there's obviously it's going to be a trilogy. Of course, yeah. that's big money for both guys again. If he loses, though, I really don't see them ever fighting. I mean, now I shouldn't say ever, but not anytime soon. There wouldn't be any reason for it to happen, <clears throat> especially if it's some kind of strong finish. Yeah, you know, yeah. it doesn't like go the distance or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> I think the longer the fight goes, the worse it gets for Connor. That's an obvious point. I yeah. think if, if Connor is going to win, it has to be early. First or second round, but I don't see that happening. I don't see I don't see him finishing. I, very few people have ever finished Nate. Period. Or usually, when people beat him, it's a decision, right? Because they just yep. kick that kick that front leg and take him down over and over again. That's kind of the strategy. Right. That's what Benson Henderson did. That's what other people did. You just basically went on points. So the only guys ever knocked out Nate was Josh. I forget his last name. Was, but, was, you know, he, wasn't Berkman, was it? No, it was oh, Josh. He fight. He fights in Bellator now. Oh, oh, um, gosh, oh god, um, annoying ass. Um, <laughs> he fights out of AKA. Yeah, yeah. Well, he used to. Okay, uh, doesn't do that anymore. Okay, it's, it's sad that we've forgotten his name now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All I see is his blonde hair now. <laughs> yeah, Josh, and he was always angry because you know everybody hated him. He, he legitimately knocked out Nate though. That was and they threw yeah. a towel, but that's the only time ever. I've never even seen Nate in trouble. He got beat up by Rory McDonald, but th- but that went the whole fight. And Rory McDonald was just able to manhandle him because he's bigger. Just picked him up and threw him down several times, and that was obviously a discrepancy in weight class. So I mean, but even that went the whole fight. So it's 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 Koscheck. Koscheck. There we go. No, it was it wasn't Koscheck. Okay. It was a uh, oh man. I'm gonna have to look it up now because <laughs> now now it's irritating me. Uh, so now it got me thinking, like, wait a minute, it wasn't Josh Near. I know that. Damn no, sure. no, it's Damn. a it's a one fifty fiver, so it's not a one. It wasn't a hundred. It wasn't a hundred and seventy pound fight. Oh, um, 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 was it Thompson? Yeah, Josh Thompson. Okay, 
It's yeah. Josh Thompson. Yeah, and then that was a legitimate knockout. That yeah. was no joke. But that was, that was kind of an outlier fight that we've never seen something like that before. But it does show that Nate can be knocked out, and Connor does have really good punching power. He's proven he can knock out people, but he hasn't proven he can knock out someone in this weight class. And I think I think Nate's walking around at 200 pounds. And he's cutting down <laughs> gradually. <laughs> yeah, he's looking bigger than ever. Yeah, you know, in the in these these pre-fight little documentaries they're doing right now. So anyway, it'll be interesting. Either way, it'll be interesting. I, I just hope it's a really good fight rather than just someone wins in the first 30 seconds or something, right? Like some kind of fluke. Yeah. <laughs> like that Jose Aldo fight where Connor just lands a good left and then, and then Nate's done and it's over in the first 15 seconds. I, it's highly unlikely that would happen, but that would be really disappointing if that happened. We've been disappointed before. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, there's a good chance this fight won't even happen at all. That too. So. <laughs> we'll be really disappointed. <laughs> so we wasted all our time talking about this. It's not even happening. <laughs> yeah. It's starting to become the story of the fight game in 2016 now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That John Joe situation, man. That was really disappointing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> You knew that was happening too. Like in the back of your mind, you're thinking, eh, "I don't know if this fight's going to happen. Something's going to happen." Too good here. to be true. Yeah, <laughs> we, like, three, three people want this one too badly, man. It's like, just yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> three days out, though, you thought for sure it's like, "Oh, it's Wednesday. What can happen now?" But now it's <laughs> oh, something can. <laughs> something definitely can. <laughs> Get behind the wheel. I mean, he could, he could he's going <laughs> to an intersection on the way to the gym. Anything can happen <laughs> by Wednesday. Well, he was smart to hire a professional driver. Yeah. to take that problem. <laughs> oh man so, crazy yeah. world crazy system <clears throat> so, yeah. and yes with this episode with Ty Ritter that was an extremely powerful episode and yeah a lot, a lot of people did go and share the episode Steve Cotter did Charles Poliquin did Scott Shetler did and so yeah I mean I did tell these people I mean I, mean, I, didn't, I didn't tell them I didn't order them to I asked them if they could share it and, right. and to their and to their credit they all did I mean Charles Poliquin got back to me within like 10 seconds and had it up on his Facebook page which has you know 300,000 followers so that was really nice of all these guys to get the word out there. And it, it would be great if everyone listening not only listens to the episode, but makes a donation and shares it with someone else. Because this is an important episode here. We're not this is not an episode where we're just trying to raise money for the show, although that's important too. You know, this is this these are people in desperate need of help, and Ty is a guy who has an extremely effective strategy, him and his team. He's got the to resources to make it happen. Yeah. So you don't necessarily yeah. have to sit there and hear it and feel helpless when you listen to the episode. It's just like you don't have to sit there like, oh my God, this is like I wish I could do something, or this just makes me feel really bad. You know, okay, make feel a little better, you know, and make a donation. Anything. Well, you know, I was on Ty's website and some lady put up a post saying Oh, this is so terrible. I, I wish I could help. I was like, you can't help. You <laughs> You're on the website. Like, <laughs> it's like, Jesus like, Christ, man. Does he have to spell it out to you? And to the right of that page that you're on, that you're leaving a comment and click donate. There you yeah. go. <laughs> yeah, it, it is a terrible now I can see if, Now, I can see if she said, you know, I wish I could. I, I made a donation, but I wish I could do more. Yeah. Okay, like, well, have a fundraiser, you know, or like I said, help, you know, reach out to your media and say, hey, you need to get this guy on your on your newscast instead of talking about these stupid politicians and all this and all their lies. Let's talk about something that somebody's doing something for good right here. And here's a good news story right here that you need to bring up. So, yeah, it's funny because I was in a, in a similar a similar topic. I put up this article on my page talking about different chocolate companies that you shouldn't support because they use the yeah, utilized yeah. child slavery, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and this one guy got in there, and I don't think his intentions were bad at all. He was just more curious, but he's like, he's like, are we making this situation worse by 
taking away these opportunities for child labor is that they end up doing something worse, such as going into sex trafficking or anything like that. And I had to keep making the point that it's not labor, it's slavery. Yeah, okay. it's, not, it's not like they wouldn't apply for the job. They're not getting no. compensated. They're forced into it. Exactly. Words, they're, they're kidnapped. They're, they're, often, they're mm-hmm. often in human trafficking already, and they're forced to do this. And who's to say that they're not being forced to do other stuff as well? Exactly. Like, child might be out there picking coca plants during the day, and then their child's, you know, sex slaves at night. You know, so we don't, so, you know, so, so it's, so it's not. I'm thinking that we should keep supporting these companies because these kids could be worse off if we don't is ridiculous. It's such a moronic way of looking at it. It's like, no, the reason why you want to boycott this is so that these companies are forced to do more ethical practices. Right. Now they, they, now they have to take it upon themselves to say, okay, we need to get out there and create social change, create so better. The only protest or boycott that any of these companies understand is money. You know, you can march, you can, you can do whatever, but money's the only thing that, that motivates them. They're like, Whoa, we're losing profits behind this. Well, maybe we should make a few changes. That's usually what happens. They'll make a couple of changes to pacify people, right. you know, and, and then most people are good with that and they'll move on. But then exactly. Just, That's you know, exactly right. And then a few years later, they go back to doing what they're doing. Like I, I laugh when I see some of these BP commercials and, you know, and they're trying to make it seem like, they're so good now. I'm like, like, or like the Sea World commercials. Oh like, yeah. Oh, we love our animals and we take good care of them. <laughs> <laughs> We're rescuing them from the wild, but like, yeah. But yeah, the reason yeah. why the reason why they're having problems in the wild is because of companies that like probably support you. Like, I don't know, like some of the oil companies and all that, and they're out there drilling and they have their ships out there and they're making it a very bad environment for those whales to be in. We're all consuming all this plastic crap. Nobody wants to recycle, you know, so all that's going into the ocean. So they're getting sick and they're dying and like, oh, let's rescue them and send them to SeaWorld. Huh? What? <laughs> well, you know, so I mean, yeah, so I mean, I had a back and forth with this guy and then yeah. another guy jumped in and said, you know, what about cell phones and this? And I was like, yeah, that's a valid point, too. But that doesn't mean that the point I'm making about chocolate companies isn't. Exactly. All, all, all I'm saying is avoid these companies. And then there was a list of companies that do do ethical practices. So yeah. support those. I'm not saying don't ever eat chocolate again. I'm just like don't fucking buy it from Kraft and Nestle and Mars and all these other companies, Hershey. And here's other here's an alternative to all of that. And on top of that, those companies you just named, they have their hands in other dirt as well. So Absolutely. it's not like this is that, you know, what they're doing with child slavery for chocolate is the only thing they're doing. Those exactly. companies. Are like they have multiple crimes going on, so yeah, it's just kind of like you know, okay, here's the thing yeah, you got you know, this guy, you know, oh, he's a drug dealer, but you know, every Thanksgiving he gives out free turkeys to all the families and blah 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 <laughs> yeah. blah. I said, yeah, but what about all the families who's lost, who's whose family members are not going to come and celebrate Thanksgiving because of his his gang or whatever else has killed them, you know, in the past year, you know, so but you got a turkey though this time around, you know, even though your son is not alive anymore because he got caught in the crossfire from that same dealer that's, you know, handing out turkeys right now. So, you know, my thing is don't take the turkey, okay, because you're pretty much saying, hey, then, you know, thanks for killing my son, you know, so we can look at it that way, too. Right. You know, so you no, protest. The, the, way I, the way I end a lot of these debates, though, when people keep going back and forth, because a lot, a lot of times people are trying to look for a reason not to support something. Right. They're going, well, or they're looking for a reason to validate, you know, the fact that, OK, here's the thing. Now that you've been made aware of it, now you, yeah. you have to actually make a choice. You have that. And then now that you know this, you got to ask yourself when you go and purchase that Reese's peanut butter cup, no matter right. how damn good they taste, you got to say, like, well, damn, does the taste of this cup, this peanut butter cup, is it better than trying to help a child have a better life and not be right. exploited. That's the things you have to ask yourself now. 
you know, and then the thing is, you buy that peanut butter cup, you say, well, hell, your, your personal taste buds far outweighed somebody's, you know, safety, you know, and, and, and a child's, you know, growth or whatever, or the fact that they might end up dying out there while they're getting that. Well, I mean, you know, they even asked, they even asked one of these kids who was rescued from the slavery, like, you know, how do you feel about all these people buying these <laughs> products and enjoying the chocolate? He's like, he's like, I feel like they're eating my soul. It's like, I feel like they're eating me as well because of everything I've been through. And there it is right there. Yeah. Because the problem is you a lot know? of times, you know, out of sight, out of mind. So if they actually had to sit there and talk to one of these kids, then you got to really ask, like, now, really, can you, can you keep buying that now? You <laughs> know, if you really know that. But my thing is, why, did, why does it have to go that far? <laughs> so yeah, you yeah. know, it's just yeah. And trust me, if somebody's listening right now, well, like, you guys probably do this and do that. Look, man, you do the best you can, and yeah, we're we're all doing something. We're all like I said, as long as you're driving, as long as you're putting gas in your car, we're all supporting homophobia. You know, because that a lot of that is coming from Saudi Arabia, and we know what they do to homosexuals over there. You know, they'll behead them no matter what your stance is on, you know, on anyone that's gay. Are you really? Do you really think it's okay to behead them just because of who they are? You know, you got to ask yourself that. Yeah, we're or, driving around or, or so, kill women that are rape victims. Exactly. Come on, we want to talk about women's rights violations. Yeah, women's rights. You know, so you know, don't talk, don't sit there and talk about Hillary this and all that when she's gotten a lot of money from Saudi Arabia. And we know how they feel about women over there. So, right. so you got to think about all these different things when you bring up these things to justify. Look, so again, do the best you can. But again, once you get the facts, you got to really start making. You got to really start thinking. You got to start thinking. So it's not a point of trying to be argumentative about it. Well, I mean, the it's one, the one with, what you're the one doing, with it's just like, damn, what can I do better? So. You know, that's, that should be the, that should be the first thing you, you should ask exactly. instead of talking about, well, what about this? No, no. What about, okay, what can I do better? At least let me do this. So yeah, we all have to pick our battles, but it's not about sitting there trying to argue, you know, and try to validate the choices that you're making. It's just like, okay, let me try to do a little better by doing this. So yeah, I might drive a car. I might use gas, but you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to actually go over here and go over here to this women's shelter and help these women out and, and do a fundraiser drive, whatever else. So, you know, at least like, try. Are, to, are you going to look for ways to use your car less? Exactly. You know, you're going to. Another thing. So, so because again, you're still hitting them. still a protest. You still hit them in their pockets right there. Like, okay, you know, a little less gas right there. Are <laughs> so. you going to get you know a different kind of car where you're not using fuels, exactly. fossil exactly. fuels, and all that? So yeah. So you know, it, the thing is here, it's it's just to think, man, and not be in your little bubble and think that you know the, it's the, all the, rainbows. The, cho- the chocolate one though is so simple that it was it was such a waste of time to even go back and forth discussing <laughs> these points because here are the companies to avoid. Here are the ones to support. So it's not even a question of don't eat chocolate anymore because this is where it's going. It's like, no, here's options you should avoid and here's options you should take advantage of. It's simple. And those All are easy, those is, easier options then. It's yeah. like, well, I, you know, like, well, you need to quit driving, you know, quit using gas and you need to get an electric yeah, exactly. car. I can't, exactly. I can't afford an electric car right now. So right. of course you're going to exactly. do the best you can, but chocolate, come on, man. We're talking about chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting my Allen Iverson now. Chocolate. We're talking about chocolate. No, but I, I always like to give people a benefit of the doubt and what i do is at the very end of a discussion where i just feel like it's stagnating like they're mature they're trying to make their point i'm making my point we're going back and forth ways just repeating ourselves i'm like you know what let's bring this to a positive end where we can disagree on this but one thing we should all be able to agree on is that what ty ritter is doing and his team is something we should all support so if you care about kids if you care about kids that are being kidnapped, tortured, put into human slavery, child pornography, etc. You should support his organization. And if people don't want to support his organization, then you know that everything else they said is just bullshit. When it comes <laughs> down to action, they're just like, okay, if you really care so much about these kids, I'm showing you an option of how to support kids in need. And if you choose not to support it, then I know for a fact that you're full of shit. 
and that you're just talking out of your ass. That's all you're doing. You're just wasting time on Facebook talking about shit that you don't give a fuck about at all. Right. Uh, so here's some things to give a F about. <laughs> the show. <laughs> and here's some people that do give a fuck about it. You know, uh, shouts out to Nick Ortega. And oh, by the way, Nick, hope things are good out there in Baton Rouge, man. I see the flooding that's going on out there. So, oh, yeah. you know, even with all that going on, you know, here's a guy that still went to my site, used that coupon code, still bought a Cheerio door. And right. with all the stuff that's going on or whatever. So even going beyond, you're like, okay. But at the same time, you know, it's another situation that we got to look at. You know, there's a lot of flooding going on out there in that area in South Louisiana. And, you know, so. Anything you guys can do to help with that? Now, I don't necessarily say the Red Cross because, you know, I got my reservations about them. My thing is look for something a little bit more local, man, and, and see how you can help with that. You know, with some of the local missions and, you know, homeless shelters and, and things like that. You right. know, just do a little research. Just do a little research. You feel inclined to help out with the folks in South Louisiana because I understand. I've been there, being here in Houston and had my fair share of floods. We've had two major ones in the past 12 months, and you know a lot of people got displaced. Some people still displaced. Here it is almost a year later from one of those floods, so I understand. So, you know, shouts out to Nick, and also to Troy Bledsoe and Matthew Kilmeyer um, for also using that coupon, con- coupon code LLA over on NewWarriorTraining.com, and also our Patreon supporters, Thomas Jodwan and Tyler DeBartolo, and also Corbin Thomas, who always supports us in, in various ways. Yeah, he's sharing episodes, guy. he's buying products, he's a Patreon supporter, and he also gets the Patreon Bump Award of the Week because he bumped up his monthly donation to Patreon as well. That's great. So big shouts out to Corbin for that, man. So hey, what about you, man? Yeah, I've got, okay, here's a bunch of people using that coupon code LLA to get 10% off. Best nutrition supplements money could buy at MikeMahler.com. You can also get over there at AggressiveStrength.com. So we have Wayne Hall, we have Michael Galen, we've got Chris M. I say Chris M because I can't pronounce his last name, <laughs> or I'm not going to attempt to pronounce his last name. Let's see, we have Lee Tillman, we've got Ashton Crawley, got Stoka Strickland, Jonathan Tanksley, Derek Lenertz, Robin Evans, Timothy Moe, Warren Byrne, and uh, let's see, let's find one more. So we got Joel Cook, Maurice Free, and Tammy Mesmer all using that coupon code LLA to get 10% off at MikeMahler.com. So get over there, load up on some great products, get some restore time to help you recover from all those hard workouts. You'll get better sleep at night by mitigating all that inflammation. Put on some recovery oil before you go to sleep. Get some deep REM sleep and get on the testosterone booster. Get that sex drive up. And finally, for those of you guys that have you know, had bitch tits for the last 10 years. EC is your, is, is the product of choice. So check that out. And I've noticed that EC has been selling a lot to the point where I'm actually sold out of it right now. It's mm. like it, it went on, it's on back order right now. So I think, uh, I think a lot of people have finally taken heed to the fact that it's not normal to have bigger Beach hooters eats. than your wife. <laughs> you got bigger hooters than your wife. That's a problem. <laughs> if she can motorboat you. That's not a good thing. <laughs> Oh. And, uh, you know, you don't want to lower estrogen levels too much. It's estrogen levels in men are kind of like estrogen levels on in men are kind of like fat on a woman. You don't want it to go too low. Right. <laughs> doesn't, that, doesn't that sound like something Ori Hoffmeckler would say? <laughs> estrogen levels in men are like fat on a woman. You don't want it to go too low. <laughs> so, but most guys don't have the problem that their estrogen levels are too low. So let me emphasize right. that point. But anyway, get on two caps of EC. If you have really high estrogen levels, you may need three. 
load up on that. It will be back in stock early September, so make sure to look out for that at MikeMahler.com. Awesome, man. So one last thing, HillerPatreon.com slash LLA Podcast. Come a monthly supporter of the show. Also, share the show on Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, all that good stuff. If you Wherever you listen to it, share it there. You know, wherever you like to frequent on social media, share it there, unless it's Tinder or something like that. I don't, <laughs> don't know about all that. <laughs> so, you know, or Ashley Madison or something like that. <laughs> uh, not necessarily in those forums, you know, but <laughs> who knows? <laughs> so, yeah, who knows? That could be a platform for blowing up the show. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> we could be the first ones to take advantage of that platform. Everyone starts following. Exactly. Ugh. So that's going to wrap it up this week, folks. We're going to catch you on the next episode. Take care, everybody. All right, take care, everyone.